Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Everybody, this is Dave AC stepping in this week. We do have the sixth doctor in the room, but he's a, a little bit of a, a tired old man because he's now a dad for the second time and he will be dropping in and speaking, but he may also disappear any moment. He's uh, at the hospital looking after his beautiful wife, uh, Megan, and uh, I don't know whether Liam's with them, but they have welcomed into their family the new Callum Reese Bissett. And uh, if Ian can get on the phone and talk in a moment, he'll mute himself. No doubt he'll be able to give us a a description of the lovely lad. If you're in the chat room, you'll see that there is a a TwitPic link that I put in against DevAC2, showing uh, the young man himself, hat and socks on, with his uh, seal of wrestle on. Yes. Ian. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Yes, I as, as I said, I am very, very tired, um, but we are very, very happy to. Um, right now, he's resting on his mum, and uh, she's resting in a chair, and we're all quite happy. So, uh, even though we're quite tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, as long as you can stay with us, that's great. Whether you have to keep muted or not, but um, we'll we'll get on with the. Let, let me have a bit of fun here and 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 and, and do something before I leave. Uh, let me introduce who's in the collective day. <laughs> we are joined by Logan. Hello, sir. Hello, Daddy. How are you? And congratulations again. Thank you, sir. And hello, everyone else. Not, it's not often that we have you on audio, so it's good to have you here. Well, I used to be on quite a bit, but just yeah. I've been busy recently, so I wanted to help yeah. Dylan since you weren't going to be around much today. Thank you very much. All right, also, let us welcome Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, good sir, and congratulations. Thank you very much, sir. And welcome to the show. Also joining us on audio, it's been a while, DM Walling is here. Hello, Diane. Hello, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to change my username, Daddy. (laughs) He's the Daddy. He's the Daddy. I'm a daddy. <laughs> all right. Enough of that. Uh, normally I do some at the top, but I'm in the proclaimed, and it's all organized weird, so everybody's all over the place. Please let me welcome Mr. Charlie P. 79. Hello, and yeah, congratulations. Thank you, sir. I'm very proud of my work. <laughs> <laughs> I also have to add um, that also on the 24th is the birthday of Kevin Sorbo, so there you go. Ooh. Excellent. Your 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 son may become Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, his his big claim to fame at the moment is that. Uh, um, now my mind's a blank, but uh, uh, the gentleman who does the voiceover for MythBusters. Um, I'm trying to remember his name, and I can't now because it's just a blank. 
Uh, but his birthday is actually on the 25th, and uh, for some unknown reason, I'm lucky enough that he follows me on Facebook and on Twitter, and he congratulated us on on Callum's arrival, and so he's already been congr- welcomed by a famous person. So, uh, not that you all aren't famous in your own little way. <laughs> anyway, back to the introductions. Last, but certainly by no means least, it's Mr. Century. Hello, Ian, and everybody Hello. else there. Congratulations all round. Thank you very much. Diane, you're being a little noisy. Sorry, I muted my mic so you wouldn't hear me. <laughs> oh. She might wake the baby. Yes, you might. You might. All right. Uh, I think it's time to lower the cone, Dave. Control, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? All right. Under the cone. Today, it's Mr. Randall Thor. He's having some issues at school today with uh, internet connections, laptops, etc. Blah blah blah. Also joining us is Merlin. I walk in eternity. Guest fourteen from me, Time Lord. Uh, talk shoe message. Hello, talk shoe message. My shoes. Uh, and also Ewan. Hello, everybody. Uh, only one more person to introduce, and that is the typing monkey. It's news time. Go, Daddy Monkey, go. <laughs> You're so charming. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave you guys to it, and uh, I shall catch you all next time. Cheers. That's wonderful news. Bye. Yep. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Excellent. So that is uh, the news. Um, uh, Tim uh, is the only one with news, and uh, if you can... I think we're going to go on to another sort of arrival, but this was a rather more painful arrival, although I suppose Megan would disagree with that, uh, related to our friend Tardis Tara. But, Tim? Yes, um, for for a few weeks now, those of us that listen to the um, Happiness Patrol podcast will know this. Tardis Tara has been saying she's going to have a, uh, a Tardis tattooed on the top of her arm. And we've all been going, yes, yes, we know it's coming up. Well, this week it actually happened. And I'll put the link in chat to the finished tattoo, which is amazing looking and has a TARDIS in full, wonderful, resplendent blue with the whole signs and everything. And of course, being Tara, has a scarf behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And It um, really looks good. There's a short video people can watch later 30 seconds of the actual tattooing going on and um, from from what I gather it was painful but you'd never know she's <laughs> not exactly sat there wincing or anything but um, so that, that's geeky news for you <laughs> you know I, I, go, on. go on Dave what were you going to say well, I was just going to say uh, I was listening to um, the happiness patrol that she's one of the group of and uh, uh, one of the others was asking him, well, what on earth do you want a 
top two of the... You've got a great big one in your living room. She said, well, this mm-hmm. is one... They can't take it away from me. When I'm an old lady in a home, I'll still have my TARDIS with me. <laughs> well, that and there's some events she goes to and she decides not to take the actual TARDIS with her and now it's always with her. Right. But um, I, I don't, don't quite know what, what mum and dad... Mum and dad of TARDIS Tara thoughts. It's not quite filtered through that. I think it, I have a feeling she told one parent, and then one parent told the other parent. <laughs> Excellent. But, um, in 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 actual upcoming projects news, SFX revealed that there is a Bill and Ted three movie on the way. Uh, initially revealed by Keanu Reeves, and then they thought they'd ask Alex Winter as well, and Alex Winter confirmed it, telling MTV that uh, there is indeed. A, a, a Bill and Ted three on the way, and I'm thinking they're a bit old to be paying Bill and Ted teenagers these days. So I don't quite know how that's going to work. But um, right. there's a time travelling characters. I'm sure they'll find some way around it. Yeah, the only movie news I've heard is that there still seems to be a lot of kerfuffle over this um, latest, um, you know, New Zealand film. The, um, the the not the sequel to Lord of the Rings, but the uh, the Hobbit one the, that's going to be made into two films. It appears that the um, American unions, the uh, you know artist unions, actors unions, are not keen on it going ahead because, and I think Darth has mentioned this before. One of the reasons that New Zealand is used for a lot of these uh, films is not not the beautiful scenery so much, but the the cheap work rates, the the, the fact that it's much cheaper to make a film there, uh-huh. and uh, it seems as though that. Um, a lot of the American actors' unions are trying to stand firm and help the New Zealand Federation of Actors, or whatever they're called, get proper dues for the thing. Because apparently, they if something's cancelled, they don't get any money. They don't get any money for further showings of films. Um, and um, they're treated a little bit as second-class citizens in, the, um, in that genre. Well, on, on that same page, I noticed another bit of news worth mentioning, and that's that Eliza Dushku will be making a guest appearance in Big Bang Theory, uh, set to play an FBI agent assigned to conduct a background check on Wallowitz, because he needs high-level clearance for some project he's working on. So, worth keeping an eye out for. That will be season four of Big Bang Theory. Excellent. Okay, is that is that all your news items? Yep, that's a lot. Uh, right, um, before I just uh, welcome uh, Benjamin Elliott into the room, just joined us, and before I ask him about any news, just to remind, before we started the recording, and uh, when Ian was talking about his new family member, uh, uh, there's a one of the links to his TwitPic uh, page showing the most recent picture of the new Callum Reese Bissett. So that's up there. Uh, Benjamin, uh, thanks for joining us. I don't know whether we're joining us late and not having a chance to talk, whether you actually have any news items. We've only dealt with Tardis Tara and uh, Ian's personal news and, and that last one that I think you heard that Tim talking about. So welcome to the show, first of all. Uh, hi, Dave. Hi, everybody. Um, well, uh, I don't think it's been announced here yet, but the Sarah Jane Adventures have air dates in the UK. They'll be airing twice a week, Mondays and Tuesdays, on CBBC beginning October 11th 
and Thursdays and Fridays on BBC One in the CBC block on Thursdays and Fridays. So I can catch part one and part two of the story on Monday and Tuesday and then see it again without all those annoying stuff that CBBC puts on the screen on Thursday and Friday. Right. Uh, I did read the, the one of the news items, and it did say that some of those dates could could still change. Mm. Is that right? I mean, the... Well, it's, obviously dates, dates can change. I hadn't read that personally, but it wouldn't surprise me if they changed some things down the road. Right. I didn't know whether that meant, you know, the actual time of the day or the actual day themselves. Hmm. Well, BBC don't tend to finalise scheduling until about 10 days before anything goes out, so... Yeah. Right. I'm pretty sure BBC One will still air them around 4.30 in the afternoon. CBBC could air at like 5.30 or so since they've tended to do that with searching in the past. Okay. But we'll have the exact time soon. I've been a bit behind on my listing stuff because... With my back issues, I just simply haven't had the energy. I'm trying to get the column back up next weekend. Now that I've found some ways to short, uh, save some time and some things, but hopefully we'll get more on the ball next week. Excellent. No, you, you're usually well ahead of the game on that, so uh, thank you for that. Okay. Um, uh, I think pretty much that's it for news. Um, we, well, we should to... quickly mention what Randall's put in chat, that um, oh, well there will be more, more Doctor Who <laughs> The Adventure games next year. Right. How, and I'm hoping they'll the... be easier, because I just keep getting stuck on them. <laughs> uh, right, have all, have all of the current Noisy. block actually gone out now, then? The last one I, I remember was one the one inside the TARDIS. Yeah, the I was TARDIS thinking of... one. Yeah. There's probably one more to come. Okay, well, if if that's it, uh, what we will do then is um, get straight on to our topic. We're, we're hoping not to have the great marathon that we had last week, although we hope that you will still download it, uh, have downloaded it and uh, enjoyed it, pa- possibly over a period of days or sessions. Today's show, uh, episode uh, 65, um, the title, the brief title is Greatest Sci-Fi Monsters, but we're using the... Um, Part of the FSX 200 poll that went some time ago, and this is the third section from that that we're using as our sort of starting point. Uh, there are 20 ones that were voted for in their poll, and um, since this is a poll, we will go um, in reverse order, as it were. So um, we're going to start with that, and then I'm sure there will be lots of ones that we would have felt that should be included. And by Greatest Monsters... The actual poll title is Favourite Monsters, Supernatural Beings and Fantasy Creatures. Oh, and one little bit of feedback I should mention. Um, when we um, did what was a slightly similar topic, um, My Favourite Martian, which was about friendly, cuddly aliens, that was episode 61. Uh, I should just m- mention that I got um, um, a, 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 a note from, uh, from Perry, um, via tw- uh, Twitter, his Twitter name is P-G-E-R-A-K, uh, that we've missed out the Coneheads, that he felt as though they should have been included as a sort of friendly group of aliens. So thank you for that. And also while I'm doing that, let me also uh, hope that uh, Nigel Sharp, one of my new Facebook friends, is listening as he's 
posted to me that he really enjoys uh, catching the Colton Collective podcast. So thank you for those new listeners and anybody else who's just recently found the Colton Collective either on TalkShoe or on Facebook. If you want to call in live, the show ID is 54821. You can call in the number 724-444-7444. And if you're using a SIP client, it's at 66.212.134.192. And with all that out of the way, I have put in the link to the FSS links link uh, poll. I have got a number of clips for some of them, but a lot of them are actual creatures that they don't really seem to say very much. And... Um, Perhaps the number 21, Slimer. Now, I'm not too sure why this particular one is in the list, and certainly not why it made the top 20. But I'm going to give a free-for-all this week. Um, We've got um, five or six people on audio, and I think that sort of number that we don't have to sort of queue up and wait to be allowed to speak, as it were. So um, we will go through these as quickly or as slowly as it takes depending on any fans of the particular ones. So, anybody want to speak up for why Slimer should be... Slimer, of course, from Ghostbusters, and I haven't got a clip of him, should be in this list. Ooh, that's a good, strong sound. I think Slimer was just... Uh, he just had a personality. He was one of the most memorable ones. Ghostbusters was a big film when it came out, and it spawned a sequel... And people just, in that period, just liked the Slimer character, you know, a ghost with personality. And if you remember all the cartoon shows that came out, the cartoon show, the real Ghostbusters, by the time its series was over, they actually tried to make Slimer the star of it, changing the title to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. So imagine if it was like, um, like imagine if you had a Doctor Who if Doctor Who was titled uh, Carl the Cyberman and the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> or oh. Proton the Cyberman, you know. Yeah. In the third guy here. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Tim, do you remember, did that actually come over to the UK, uh, a cartoon one of the Slimer? I don't probably... It, the probably real Ghostbusters did, but I don't, I don't think it ever got renamed here. Right. So it's actually probably held more in affection, although FSX, I never really know whether FSX is a UK magazine or not. Because oh, actually it is. The, um, I'm a subscriber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, because I was looking at the website. The, the website is www.fsx.co.uk. And, of course, we're on the FSX 200 poll results, page three. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to move along then, uh, uh, Diane and others that have not been on audio for some time. And as I re- unmute and welcome Rick Wall into the show. Hi, Rick Wall. Hello, hello. Hi, we're, we're doing uh, the list, the link to the list that we're doing this week is at the top there. Uh, I'm in the chair as Dave AC today, uh, Ian Day rather, should I say, and um there's a link to the page if you just want to check. We're doing the list in reverse order. We've just done uh, Slimer, which didn't take long at all. Uh, now, this one, the second one, I'm uh, uh, number 19, I'm rather flummoxed again why this should be in as a, um, uh, a high in the list. Favourite monsters, supernatural beings, are fantasy creatures, other than the fact that it might be the fact that the book is read so much. 
and that is Frankenstein's monster from Frankenstein. I would have thought the appeal was more for the, the you know, Mary Shelley's uh, book, Frankenstein, than um, the actual film on monsters uh, and the way they've been portrayed uh, since. Again, no, 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 uh, I mean, every, almost everybody who's alive today, their enduring image of the Frankenstein monster is the one from Universal. So, I mean, there were, you know, several films made. It's not just one Frankenstein film. Yeah, but was it... And, and in fact, you, Universal yeah, owns the copyright to, to the way that the Frankenstein monster is most often portrayed. Warner uh, Brothers. Actually, sorry. Universal. That's what I said. I said Universal, didn't I? Yeah. I said yeah, it's Universal. Yeah, yeah. I, I accidentally said Warner Brothers. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and was Boris Karloff the the the, right. the first one to bring it to screen? Right. Well, and I don't know. No, no. That that may be wrong. He may not be the first one to bring, but he's certainly the the Universal that is Universal Pictures standard for um, the monster. And like, if you get a, if you get a picture of the monster on a T-shirt, money goes to Universal. To the uh, Edison was the first one actually to do a Frankenstein movie. Yeah, that's that's true. Way back in the early, early, early days, American cinema. Yep. Well, I mean, are we, are we, are we going back? Sorry. Go ahead. I was just to say, was that? Uh, I mean, did they come out as early as um, silent movies? Are there sort of very early talks? It was like nineteen. Twenty-one, something like that. That was even earlier than that, or something. But yeah, nineteen nineteen or something. Right. Yeah. It was definitely silent. Right. Yeah. And, and I suppose the affection has grown as well because, in some ways, uh, it, it, the actual creatures made. Um, almost moved out of that genre. Well, I mean, they were they were also the multi monster ones, weren't they, where, you know, Frankenstein meets Wolfman and things like that. And then, of course, there were the um, the comedy ones with Abbott and Costello. And uh, the, as you, you say, I suppose it's the iconicness that gets you in the list. list. So, so would you say then, uh, Darth, that you would even uh, put it higher than 19 out of the 20? Well, I mean, Dave, I think the, the one thing that we've got to do right up front is what this list means and what it's trying to do. I mean, if you read the preface to all of these lists, and there's about ten of them, I said, yeah. ten of them with with great uh, creature uh, characters on it, um, it's it's basically just break down 200 because it is their 200 issue of British sci-fi magazine SFX, um, and so these categories are very artificial, and really just a way to herd 20 different names into a list so that people can vote on it, and eventually. They're just trying to get down to the whatever it is, the twenty best characters of all time from the genre. So really, this is a very artificial category. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, you know, Slimer's in there just to recognize the franchise of, of Ghostbusters, probably more than you know. Um, yeah, the general popularity. Yeah, that doesn't have any special meaning. And I think that the other thing that probably should be pointed out is I don't believe that the 200 names were arrived at through voting. I think the voting started with FS, SFX giving the 20 names, and then you chose which one you wanted. But it's not like view, the readers of this magazine had a chance to vote on the initial list, that is to actually make the nomination. So, you know, 
Right, well, perhaps Tim could clarify that, because he, he gets the magazine, he said. Uh, Tim, can I you remember actually, know. you can't remember actually voting on those? Are, are as, well, just because uh, they have a poll doesn't mean I voted, in it? No, 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 no. I meant their way of doing it. Is it like the, there would have been the names there, and then you rank them, rather than actually suggested them, I do you think? absolutely no idea. Right, well, I apologise for not uh, knowing that mm -hmm. myself as the host of the show today, but um, it, it is our starting point, uh, whether, we, whether we diverge from that as well. Uh, and just to mention, um, next week, of course, we're doing uh, episodes 67, we're doing uh, two top 10 companions, which should be pretty much more uh, safe ground for me and uh, the rest of the collective. But uh, in two weeks, uh, episode uh, 68... Uh, we're taking another uh, of these sections just to give people a heads up, and that is uh, favourite sages, mentors, and boffins. Um, so that's a, a, another, you could uh, say, an aggregated group that may not make a lot of sense to some people, but um, sages, mentors, and boffins. So you've got everybody from Gaius uh, in um, Merlin to... Um, um, you know, Anthony Stewart Head's character in Buffy, you know, as the librarian, to um, I love you, Doctor, uh, our uh, Buffin from uh, Doctor Who. Uh, what's he called? I've forgotten his first name. Uh, what's his first name? Lee? Malcolm. Malcolm. Ah. Malcolm, yeah. I love you, Doctor. <laughs> well, he was a Buffin of sorts. Um hmm. Okay, right. Well, um, anybody else want to comment on Frankenstein? He made a Doctor Who appearance. Well, a, a robot version of him was in the chase. Yeah, uh, right. Dracula got more of the attention. I, I thought you were going to mention... The, yeah, go on. And of course, there was the Frankenberry cereal, which uh, was sold along with Count Chocula cereal and such in for kids in the 80s over here. And Young Frankenstein, the um, film that uh, really put Gene Wilder and several other people on the map, where they had a friendly Frankenstein whose brain was from a guy named Abby Normal. <laughs> right. And whether it was uh, also the inspiration for the Brain and Morbius episode or not. Ah. <laughs> but I suppose there's a lot of contention in that. Okay, anybody else on audio like to just uh, give a shout out for that? Rick Wall, you're a big horror man, so I would have thought this was something that you would. Uh, you uh, would don't be... forget the hammer of uh, Frankenstein's also. Right. Um, I I personally love some of them. Of course, you have the uh, Bobby De Niro Frankenstein. Right. And, and uh, which was the, the the most recent Frankenstein one that was about 10 years ago, which, which was uh, directed by, um, you know, the Shakespearean actor. Um, yep, Kevin Branagh. Yeah, that's it, Kevin Branagh. Um, he acted in it as well as directing it, I think. I think that's been a little bit longer than 10 years. But Is it? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that yeah. uh, Mary Shelley's yes. Frankenstein? Yeah. Wasn't that what it was yeah. called? Wasn't that the one yeah. with, with Robert De Niro? 
Yes, I think he's right. Yes. That Robert Deere was acting in Yeah, he was the monster. Yep. I should think there might have been one after that with Sting. With Sting? Yeah, he played Frankenstein. Wow. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I think it was the okay. Bride of Frankenstein, actually. Or it was called The Bride. Yeah, or... yeah, that was The Bride, and that was in the mid-'80s or so. Yeah. And if we want to go a little uh, off-kilter, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Rocky Horror was essentially brought to life a la Frankenstein's monster. That seemed a pretty clear shout back to that. The whole thing, you're taking this body and you're animating bringing it to life. Right. So it's more than a one-trick pony, in effect, and that's probably got it, um, I suppose, quite rightly into the list then. I mean... Uh, because uh, it, it's an iconic mo- I was thinking it might well be because it's um, perhaps one of the few horror books that many people have read um, because it's sort of hmm? I don't think most people have read Frankenstein these days maybe a generation ago but I don't yeah, well, that, well that's my generation I suppose Yeah, but what mm. I meant was there will be a lot of people who would never consider reading a horror book which might read Frankenstein because they would consider it uh, of literature, mer- uh, you know, a merit for the literature side of it. Uh, I know it's, uh, they've actually been, um, uh, certainly the, the, the Mary Shelley and parts of that, even in Highlander, the TV series, they've sort of uh, linked to, to, to parts of that, the events of, uh, that surrounded the, you know, the meeting up of the, the, these vet artists and the fact that they used to use uh, is it laudanum or whatever it was and they used to have these nights where they had um, to come up with um, entertainment and um, whether it's a myth or not I don't know but Mary Shelley is supposed to have come up with the story of Frankenstein for that unless I'm completely way off base No I don't think you are I think there's even a slight reference to that in a recent big finish audio where the doctor takes Mary Shelley as a companion and there's a little interlude like that of several people, including Mary Shelley, probably doing something with laudanum. But it's not it's not explicit, but that's certainly the implication. Right, yeah. Okay, uh, anybody else want to just make a last reference on that before we move up the list? Okay, well then, with everyone's permission, I'll move on to number 18, and this is The Great Dragon from Merlin, which is surprising, because when, uh, uh, though we're just on series three now, the, when this poll was done, it really hadn't had a lot of time to get traction in the sort of fan field, but I've got a little clip of it here for those who haven't watched, and it's not too spoilerish, so it's just the dragon and Merlin meeting up. How small you are. For such a great destiny. Why? What do you mean? What destiny? Your gift, Merlin, was given to you for a reason. So there is a reason. <laughs> Arthur is the once and future king who will unite the land of Albion. Right. But he faces many threats from friend and foe alike. I don't see what this has to do with me. Everything. Without you, Arthur will never succeed. Without you, there will be no Albion. No. No, you've got this wrong. There is no right or wrong. Only what is 
And what isn't? I'm serious. If anyone wants to go and kill him, they can go ahead. In fact, I'll give them a hand. <laughs> None of us can choose our destiny, Merlin. And none of us can escape it. Okay, that's the marvellous John Hurt providing the voice there on the current uh, BBC series of Merlin. Rather silly episode, I thought, this weekend, but that's by the by. Um, Pity Mike Randathor is uh, not on audio today. He seems to be a bit of a big Dragon fan. But uh, anyone else want to come in on this one? Charlie? Uh, We do. This is absolutely ridiculous that this is in any kind of poll. I mean, the character is terrible. Terrible character. Never in any kind of life, whatever, and barely in most episodes. I don't understand why it's in. I don't, I don't really, because it, uh, and certainly when this uh, poll was done, I'm not too sure which month it went out, but um, it hardly had time to get established. Uh, presumably it was just of the moment it, it was in people's minds because it was actually airing at the time of the poll. I mean, of course, the, the, the dragon here is... Um, not just in the TV series. I mean, the, the dragon's part of the, the folklore. But, I mean, they have messed about with it somewhat. I mean, one of the biggest things I found when I first watched Merlin was the fact that, um, you know, uh, Arthur and uh, Merlin were the same age, which, I mean, it, it, they're not real people in in the sense of uh, sort of Merlin being a mythical creature, really. Um, so, um, I don't know. Have you any thoughts about it other than the fact that it shouldn't necessarily be here then? Or basically, is that your comment on this uh, one? That's, I mean, I think that maybe the reason that it is is because it's the only dragon. Maybe they just thought, okay, because we put the word fantasy in the title that we've got to have <laughs> a dragon, I guess. But no, there's no real thought. It's it's just a horrible... I, every time I think about that character, actually, it's one of the things I most dislike about Merlin. Because, you know, they've contracted... John Hurd's talent, and yet they're totally wasting it. Um, is consistent about that? I mean, there the clip that you played it made it sound like maybe the character actually cared uh, about what went on in the land, and then you find out later it's not really that at all, and the character verges on being villainous. But it's just it comes out the character turns on a dime. There's no real relevance uh, or, or reason given to why the character is shifting its attitudes. Well, there the, the was, in a way, I mean, uh, not in this a, week's episode, the week before, because Merlin, um, because of something that happened to Merlin, I won't say, in a previous episode where he met someone, and it turned out that he has a slight heritage connected with the dragons, uh, that brings Merlin, uh, the dragon slightly back under his influence. So when he calls for help, the dragon feels impelled to uh, respond. Yeah. So he's not really helping me because he wants to at that point. So it's not that the, the dragon has changed its nature, but the, there's this uh, slight power that Merlin, by virtue of this connection, uh, can wield over him. Right, but I mean, how it took the better part of two seasons to get that the kernel of the truth of the relationship between Merlin and the dragon. And meanwhile, the character just languished there. And it was like every time that Merlin wanted to have some kind of help from a mystical being, he would crawl down into that cave and get 
a few words of wisdom and then pop back up, wondering what the hell he just heard from this dragon. I mean, it was it's just, it's silly. I mean, the, the concept of the character is absolutely ridiculous. So I just no, shouldn't be on this list. Anyways. Right. And before, it shouldn't be in the show. <laughs> yeah, no, it shouldn't be in the show. I don't think so. Right, and just before uh, I'll give you a minute to talk, Logan, just to welcome uh, Anthony, the uh, editor of uh, the book uh, Mythic Doctor Who, has joined us in the room. Uh, whether we'll be able to come on audio or not, I don't know, but um, okay. Um, right. Uh, I'm trying to think where you're based um, for you to call in. Yes, uh, with Skype, it does need Skype out if you're using that, uh, unless you have the ability to use one of the SIP clients. Or indeed, if you are... Okay, the other, the other option, uh, Anthony, is if you are on the pro client, that is, if the text that you're seeing before you now is scrolling sideways along the page and you're on the pro client, you should see in the bottom right-hand corner a black, green, and white uh, uh, emblem of the shoe phone where you can actually call in from that. Okay, Benjamin, do you want to say that on audio? Well, I'm just saying that if if you're in the USA, like, uh, my, my cell phone doesn't have an unlimited plan that's got enough minutes on the weekend that I can easily call in on that and... Uh, I'm pretty confident that the sound will be pretty stable. Also, if your home phone, if you don't have long-distance charges on the weekend, that can also work for calling in if you're in the USA. If you're outside the USA, then those can be too expensive. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. for people in the UK, I do have a, a, a phone number that you can ring in with. But again, that only works if you have a free weekend calling. Okay, um, Okay. Well, Logan, did you want to make any more comments on the, um, the well, one we're no, up to? No, not really. I mean, I, I've watched all the, all the episodes of Merlin, except for the new ones that have come out yet. I just haven't uh, had the time to watch those yet. And I, I agree with everything Dar says. I mean, the, the show could get on quite well without even having this dragon in it. It's, it's a thing they wanted to throw out there to add more fantasy to it. And, I mean, of course, you've always heard stories of uh, King Arthur and the round table fighting dragons, so they figured they had to throw a dragon out there. But they could have they could have done it completely away without a dragon and maybe even introduced the dragon once Arthur becomes king. Right. So. Uh, my, my feeling on it was the fact that um, it was a way of getting somebody uh, with the statue of John Hurt in without him actually having to have much of a commitment, because presumably... It, um, you know, obviously his part is all done by audio and probably done weeks and months ahead uh, as they do the CGI for those uh, those pieces. So it's not a great commitment from him, but it also allows them to have his name in the credits. And uh, even in the opening credits, uh, they do this strange thing. Um, if you've not seen it on widescreen, the, the, the screen pans to even a wider aspect with black bars top and bottom. And then the dragon seems to fly out of the picture to some great effect. And um, uh, it may well be just this scene is almost um, a selling point. But as Darth quite rightly says, but if they're going to do that, why don't they make more of him? Well, perhaps this was a way of having him 
not on the cheap, but um, having him without the full commitment of... Because uh, uh, part of it, is, as well as being filmed in Wales, it's also filmed at this castle in France. So whether the, the commitment would have been too much to do that. Yeah, but Dave, surely it is more expensive to have to pay for his voice and for... Is it the mill that does? I don't know if the mill does this, but whoever the special mm. effects house is, to create the dragon, that it would be to give John Hurt a part have under on you know i mean that's that's way more expensive than just hiring john hurt outright and i mean there's so many different there's so many different things they could do with john hurt they could if they want to have him in as a reoccurring character they could make him like as maybe the spiritual advisor to gaius coming in spirit form and just that way you can have the voice out there he doesn't necessarily have to be on the screen gaius could be talking maybe to some artifact and maybe merlin later on gains him as a mentor as well Instead of well, using yeah. it as a dragon, yeah, there is a librarian. It. There is a librarian that comes in occasionally, the keeper of the the books. Mm, yep. He could have played that part, I suppose. Yeah, because I mean, Gaius's knowledge of magic is largely unexplained, really, and it and it would be nice to have some sort of character that it, it is above Gaius that sort of explains where he got this knowledge from, and that would be perfect for John Hurt. Mm. So, yeah, waste all around. Okay, anybody else in the room want to mention, uh, well, the wider aspect of Merlin itself or the Great Dragon? Diane? Anyone? Okay, um, we're going to move fairly quickly through these then. Uh, Again, quite a few of these I haven't got clips for because it's quite difficult. Well, one I'm not really familiar with at all. I don't really watch Future Armour, so I'm hoping somebody can enlighten me about Nibbler. That, that's Nibbler. tempting to have uh, Randall Thor call in for this one. I know, I know he's sitting there. He's sitting there just wondering, should I call in because this is a character he knows about? Yeah. I love Nibbler. N- Nibbler is a little um, um, black thing, all teeth. He's a big fuzzy ball. Um, who we found out in the first season, I think it was the first season, is actually an alien, a very intelligent alien from a planet, I forget what the race is called, and they hold, um, I believe it's reality and the universe together. But he was was originally like uh, Leela's pet. Yes, uh, Nibbler's race from the planet Eternium, located in the exact center of the universe, is referred to as the Nibelonians after Lila's name for him. Okay. Yes, I found him on found him on Wikipedia now. Lila rescued to... him from an imploding planet and adopted early in the series. While the size of an average house cat, his race is capable of devouring much larger animals and excretes dark matter. Yep. which until the episode Bender's Game is used for fuel on space cruises in the series. Yep. Right, and Mike says he's in the library, so he can't actually come on, even if he wanted to. And uh, Anthony's still trying to get in. Um, it says it, the button says, I'm forbidden. I can only wonder whether that might be your own virus um, protection uh, stopping you from dialing in. It's perhaps blocking that port. 
Um, I, I, I don't. The thing with this uh, this nibbler is that I mean, be another category, any one of like other categories that's on this list. Like there's another category that says aliens, and there's no real reason why nibbler couldn't be in that, category, but isn't. And it's just you know, again, I think it's a sort of fiddling the book this particular poll and trying to get in you know, franchises as possible so that maybe one of the characters from a lot of different franchises will bubble up to you know the uh, the top 20 list of all characters of all time right and um, Mike's put in there there was an episode in the latest series where Nibbler was trying to defeat some cats trying to stop the rotation of Earth yeah Okay. Um, anybody else want to make a comment on that? Um, okay, then I'll, I'll move on. Uh, and uh, the one or two people that are not yet able to get on my, if they do so, w we can go back and recap any of those that they feel as though that was the reason they were coming in to, to talk. Okay, the next one in the list is Pinhead from Hellraiser. And I've got a short clip of this. Against the wall. You heard him. Back it up. Make us put some pain on you. Pain. How dare you use that word? He's got pins in his head. What you think of as pain is only a shadow. Pain has a face. Allow me to show it to you, gentlemen. Okay, and it's 54821 and then the pound sign, our hash keys we call it in the UK. And then you can do hash one to come in as a guest um, if you're not a Torchu member. Uh, sorry, one hash to come in. And Logan's in the room who works for Torchu, so if you've got any questions, if you can put those in text, maybe Logan will be able to help you out as I run the show. Or oh. you can blame me. People blame, blame me for me. everything. Anthony, how are you? You're unmuted. Hey. Oh. No, he's not. You're unmuted yeah, now. Muted. Hello? Hello there, Dave. Hi, Anthony. Good that you could join us. Um, unfortunately, Ian's, um, I don't know you're aware, um, but Ian became a father uh, this last couple of days. And, um, well, congratulations. <clears throat> Yeah, he's got uh, he's, he's he's got a son Liam who's eleven. His uh, new child that's been born, uh, Callum Reese Bissett. Reese, I think, is named after the character in Tor Torchwood, I think. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, he was on the very first part of the show, but he's in the hospital room where his wife is being attended and uh, giving her the support she needs. Uh, so um, he will be sorry that he's missed your. Uh, entrance on the show um just let me say first of all to the people in the room that um uh, anthony is um the editor of the uh, mythic dot who uh, i've got a list up here for your um let me just put it in your group of authors from is it kiss tune books is that how you pronounce it you need to be muted again 
I didn't do anything. Has it got muted? Ah. Yeah, you need to be unmuted again. Hello, sorry, I uh, I was trying to just find that link to your... Is it Kastoon Books? It's actually Kitsune Books, and I apologize that my cell phone just lost the call. But first, uh, congratulations to Ian and his new child, and I saw some of that notice on Facebook, but I've been a little busy and away from the different communities for a little while, so uh, I did see him post that, so I hope I wish him and his family all the best with his new child. Right, thank you. Yeah, the, the, uh, somewhere in the chat, there's uh, there's been a picture of his YouTube, uh, a picture of his baby that he posted on Twitpic, and I've just put it in again. And, oh, great. Uh, by thank the way, we haven't, we haven't forgot that we're hoping to have a, an interview with you, but uh, Ian has been uh, rather preoccupied at the moment. What we were hoping to do, if you'll excuse me for discussing this on the open forum, is um, if you will be available try and have a little interview with you uh, as we get up towards the Christmas season when uh, people may be interested in purchasing the the book itself. Well, that's fantastic, and I definitely appreciate the attention and support you guys have given to the book. Um, the website that you posted in the chat is Kitsune Books. It's it's listed Jesse, myself, and our fellow editor, Christine Larson. And um, I'm going to be announcing sometime, I don't know, maybe toward as we get closer to Comic-Con, that there's going to be another signing on December 11th. And actually, it's the first heard here on Coltham that December 11th there'll be another signing of our book at Borders at the Staten Island Mall. Excellent. Good. Well, we like to we like to break news the first. We always like scoops, so that is, <laughs> is great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, um, we'll... we'll, we'll well, just before we move on, let me just mention the list that we've gone through. Uh, the the link again, I will repeat for for you um, in the room. It's part of the FSX 200 list. There are only 20 in this section of it. The section of this poll is called Favorite Monsters, Supernatural Beings, and Fantasy Creatures. We're working our way up from the bottom. 20 was Slimer from Ghostbusters. 19 was Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein, 18, uh, The Great Dragon Merlin, uh, 17, Nibbler from Futurama, 16, Pinhead from Hellraiser. So before we just ask anybody about Pinhead, uh, any of the first four that you'd like to make a comment on, uh, whether you would include them in such a list? Uh, yeah, I would definitely include them. I think they're they're very uh, epic stories. I can't say I've gotten much into... I came into the show here uh, about when you guys are talking about Merlin, and, and I must quote River Song. Spoilers, because I haven't watched much of it yet. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we well, do have it... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, that was why I was trying to be, uh, hopefully, a little bit vague when when discussing with Merlin, um, well, I think a Darth is a bit like Merlin, but when we when we're discussing um, the the changing nature of the dragon within the story, without giving the plot points that have led up to those changes, but there have been certain things that I think within the story explain why the dragon's behaviour and attitude towards Merlin has been somewhat changed, rather than just mercurial or whatever you want to call it. But uh, well, I, I don't mean, think. In- I don't know much about the show itself. We've only watched a few episodes of the first season. If you want to chat dragons and, and stories of the other King Arthur stuff, that's great. Uh, we, I do know a little bit more the literary than more televised. Well, yeah, you've got the floor. If you, uh, well, no, 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 it's just, uh, I do 
don't like the King Arthur movie that came out um, a few years back where it is completely reworked the entire legend. Um, uh, it just really wasn't feasible and, and it didn't adhere to any of the legend that King Arthur is all about. Um, no, it tried and, to make it quote-unquote realistic. Yeah, what do you mean uh, realistic? Um, no magic, no dragons, um, that kind of stuff. Well, um, we can argue uh, to the till, till doomsday whether magic is real or not. That will right. go into a whole other topic. Right, and as Darth mentions this, really, the list itself is probably mainly motivated by, you know, film and TV series. So, um, But I must admit, with, with the, the Frankenstein monsters, I was thinking more of the literary work myself, so I understand that. Okay, well... Um, well, 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 I'm interested, oh. just real quick, your, your promo for this particular um, show was quite disturbing that you... You um, showed a picture of Gollum with you talking, so that was what caught me into wanting to take part in this. So that was a little that was, that was a little disturbing. So I thought I'm good at disturbing, so I wanted to join in. So um, I'll leave the floor, and 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 I see Darth is want the list is explicitly non-literary, which is cool. We can we can go completely non-literary, you know, keep it non-literary. And at some point, if he wants to argue whether magic is real or not. We can do so off the show and off list, and I have no problem doing that. Right. Well, well, as I say, the the, the list itself is the the the, the starting point. Well, what happens often with these lists is the list can take two hours to get through, and it becomes the whole show. But we're, right. we're, we're moving along nicely at the moment, so don't uh, uh, if you can stay with us for some while longer. Uh, yeah, that's great. Okay, um, we just played the uh, the. The Pinhead one. Now, again, I'm not really. Uh, uh, wa- I don't really watch uh, horror movies. I know Rick Wall again. This might be more your territory. Pinhead is he one that deserves to be there? I think so. Um, um, I I, uh, I thought uh, the Hellraiser series of movies, except for four, five, and six, were very good. Um, I, four, five, I, and six. How many were there then? There were six. There were, were uh, six of them. Yes, uh, three of them were theatrical, and I believe four, five, and six were direct to DVD. And they were gradually got worse as they went on. Uh, wow! So, um, you see, if I was going to pick one for this genre, I'd probably go for Hellboy. Again, I haven't seen that, but that seemed to be more of a a character that people may have uh, have taken to as um you know a cult figure of sorts. Yeah, but see, but, Dave, there's another list that is top comic characters, and I think Hellboy's probably on that one. Right, ah, right, cause, right, so, cause, exactly. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yes, and and by the way, Darth, uh, if that's uh, one of the episodes of the Cult and Collector you'd like us to cover, uh, we can certainly do that. That's um, I think that's actually um. The, uh, the 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 well, we'll 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 I tell you what, if we've got time and we're not overly long, we'll have a quick look at what the other ones are. As I said, in two weeks we're hoping to do the the section on favourites, sages, mentors, and boffins. Maybe we can at least pick another one 
not to do you know week after week but uh, perhaps with a two or three week delay um we can do that okay then uh, let's uh, look down my list again and uh, i've got uh, assuming nobody else wants to mention pinhead well uh, if i could just pop in real quick the pinhead i think they did eight movies of that and i also just came across my clive barker comic books which i have a hellraiser comic book and i didn't find pinhead as disturbing and as I don't want to use the word terrifying. I mean, it came out when I was a lot younger. Um, but I think uh, he, he he lost his appeal, his sort of scariness for me as the, the movies progressed. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I never got, I never worked out what the uh, the actual design of his head was. It looked a little bit to me like, um, you know, a lemon with uh, peppercorns stuck in it, or whatever they call it. <laughs> Actually, he was a uh, World War One uh, lieutenant, a uh, British um, a lieutenant, or as you could say, lieutenant, uh, yeah. and uh, he was a deserter and a coward, and uh, he loved pain, and uh, basically, you know, he was like a, a sadist. Uh, I'm sorry, a masochist. A masochist. So those right. are all self-inflicted, are they? I'm guessing yeah. this came up in the much later movies. I've only seen Hellraiser 1, 2, maybe 3. Beyond that, they get really, really stretched. They stretched them, the, 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 the concept too much, I think. And just the last one, really, I didn't really want, want to revisit that realm after the last one. It just didn't, it just killed it for me. Yep. And in the in the early films, he's he's one of the Cenobites, and I get the feeling they're sort of You've creatures of of hell, yep. of hell, of beings of the devil. And I thought, well, that that explains him enough. It kind of didn't need any more than that. Actually, the uh, uh, the servants of Leviathan, which was, for lack of a better term, the devil. Mm, yeah. Well, I've got. I, I I can't contribute anything to this one at all. Um, so, if anybody else wants to come in on on this, I mean, uh, I think very much there are people that watch horror movies and there are people that don't. I mean, that's obvious, I know, but um, the the whole genre either appeals or doesn't appeal. I think. Okay. Um, uh, well, I'm not going to let. Um, you know, as have dead air. So uh, please speak up, or, or we we move along the list. Okay then. Uh, the next well, one. Uh, go on. No, no. I'm sorry. I made him notice. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm quite happy for uh, what it is. Is that uh, when we have, and um, see, when we have um, a very large number of people on the phone, I, I tend to sort of uh, try and get people queued up and, uh, and go in order. But when there's uh, th this manageable number, about seven or eight. Um, and a list that, and I, obviously, if it's dot two, I know I've got a fair feel for for when people are going to come in on certain issues or not. But on on such a wide ranging topic of this, um, you know, it's basically speak up when the when the moment comes. Our our move us along. <laughs> okay, let me move us along to um, this is Ludo from uh, the lab labyrinth. And I've got a short clip, very short clip of that, because he doesn't really talk very much, as far as I know. 
Just hang on. I'll get you down. Just a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Basically, tied up with a rope in the tree and uh, falling on his head uh, with that young, lovely young lady uh, whose name escapes me uh, in her first film, I think. Um, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Um, yeah. Brilliant actress, I think. She's been in some great things. Uh but uh, that's me drifting off again. So, uh, anybody know much about Ludo and why he might be one of the best things out of Labyrinth or not? God, I haven't seen that movie in ages. <laughs> well, it was one of my favorite ones growing up as a fantasy sort of film, sort of, you know, you know, girls reading a book and she's launched into the world of that. And Ludo is kind of memorable because he's a cutesy sort of guide for the other characters. And I just, the, the like I posted in the forum here, when they go to the bar, Bog of Eternal Stink, I think that is probably one of the funniest ones because, yeah, some of the funnier lines in that, you know, Ludo smell bad, you know. And um, I, as uh, Charlie just posted on the forum here, he, he's more of a Dark Crystal fan. I have, I'm a, I have to agree that I am more of a Dark Crystal fan myself, but Labyrinth is up there for me, and Ludo is just, he was one of the highlights, like I said, because he's had a sort of a comic relief, but uh, in Jennifer Connelly's characters, her journey of her character, he was a key figure in guiding her. Right, so is he, he, does he talk like the sort of Scooby-Doo character? Uh, is that the sort of uh, nature of his? Well, his, his, his character does, you know, talk you know, long and slow and has this almost, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a childlike sort of uh, brain to me. You know, he's sort of a childlike character and he's kind of stumbles along, but he has, it's, well, somebody just posted the wiki uh, on Ludo. Uh, th thank you, Diane. Right. Um, that's uh, no www, it's uh, Muppet dot wiki dot com wiki forward slash ludo not the game of course <laughs> okay uh, anybody else want to i mean i know um if ian was here he would be mentioning this one a lot because um labyrinth is one of his uh favorite films as well certainly um he likes the whole thing and that um uh it's not not i keep saying sting it's not sting it's the um it's the singer isn't it who plays the main character david bowie David Bowie, yeah, yeah. Okay, anybody want to come in on that one? And uh, let me just uh, allow chat. Welcome guest 16, uh, and the others just coming in. Um, I will just put, while I wait for anybody else to speak, I'll just put that link in again to the, um, the poll that we're using as the basis of today's show. Yeah, I was going to ask that before. <laughs> Yeah, I put it in about three times now, right at the top of the page. Okay, um, the next one then, we'll move along, is um, Godzilla from, presumably the movie Godzilla. Again, this is one that Mike will be chomping at the bit out about, or chomping at the skyscraper, wanting to speak about it. But um, again, um, not really. I, I do remember the uh, the film that came out, was that, what, 10, 15 years ago? Uh, I've got a feeling that... Um, is Logan still with us, Logan? This is the sort of film that you would have watched. Yeah, I'm I'm still here, and I remember watching the original movie all those many years ago. 
I didn't see it when it first ran since I was I'm oh, not that yeah, old. I was but... say, yeah, I was just saying, you get trouble with Darth and Big Blair saying that was the original movie. I mean, it was basically um Japanese movie, wasn't it? You know, one of, one of those it, it down was, under films, Darth. It, it was a Japanese movie that they actually they uh, redubbed in for English as well, and they brought Raymond Bur- Raymond Burl in to play the American uh, journalist. So yeah. there's like two versions of the original movie. Right, and uh, Mike's putting uh, Godzilla v Ultraman is the idea of the float. What's that? Oh, the anime! Oh, the anime uh, club is putting together a Godzilla f- theme float for the Uni's homecoming parade. Right? Okay. I thought that was going to be the name of the first Godzilla, but the, the, yeah, they they were really um, monsters that were not. They were quite naive in some ways, but um, that may well be due to the actual uh, abilities uh, of the cinematographers at the time. But it certainly uh, has got a place in in the hearts of the Japanese fans or fans of Japanese movies. Uh, as, and the, as long as long hmm? as you never mention the new American movie that came out in '96. Right. Oh, yeah. If you mention that to a Japanese Godzilla fan, they will probably run you through with a samurai sword. <laughs> right. uh, there's a lot of American fans who would rather forget about it. <laughs> right, you, is that what Diane was saying? Sorry, Diane, was that you saying that? Yeah, I think they're planning on remaking it again. <laughs> wow. They are. Oh, please, yeah. Perhaps yeah. get it right this time. They're, they're making... <laughs> They're making a new movie. Uh, it's an American company doing it. I think it's Legendary who's doing it, but they are going to do it more along the lines of the original, the original movie. It's not going to be a, a re-imaging like '96. They're going back and they're doing an American version of the original uh, Japanese movie. So, have a guy in a rubber suit. I, I think <laughs> they do have a guy in a rubber suit. But Godzilla will look will look pretty much like Godzilla. I saw a uh, picture just online this past week. I'll see if I can find it and post it. Thank you, Logan. I just, I just rewatched um, the final of the uh, last series of uh, Godzilla movies, uh, Godzilla Final Wars, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. Oh. A friend of mine works um, uh, a local company up in Michigan do a weekend horror movie show and uh, last night it was Gamera versus Baragon or something? Baron, yeah. Yeah. Baragon actually. Yeah, Baragon, that's what it was. Oh my god, it was awful. (laughs) That's that's basically what they do is they show old old horror movies and, uh, you know, add burps and parts and they do uh, comedy skits in between the commercial breaks. <laughs> right. And, and have the, uh, has American TV uh, brought out uh, versions of Godzilla or are usually the cartoon versions dubbed ones? Uh, actually, I believe an American company did make a Godzilla um, um, animated um, um, yeah. cartoon. Uh, Godzilla and Godzilla. Yes, with Godzilla, yep. And Um, uh, actually, I think they should have renamed the uh, 96 version Godzuki. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, he doesn't look anything like Godzilla, that's for sure. Okay. Anybody else want to make a, a comment on this one, whether it should be as high in the list or not? Or should we move along? I did post the article with a picture there in the chat room for you. So, Thank you, Logan. Anyone listening to this later on, they can use our chat grabber to go ahead and grab that. Cheers. And they can find that where? At the... At TalkShoeSupport.com under the resource link. Thank you, Logan. Okay, then, let's uh, move along. Uh, and the next one is um, 13, The Cybermen from Dot Two. I've got a very short clip here, and there's five points going, Charlie P., if you can guess which story this comes from, or anybody else for that matter. I have found the ones from the TARDIS. Excellent. I shall take the patrol and destroy them. No. Capture them alive. They must be interrogated first. Speedo. Kills me the Time Lord to pilot the TARDIS. No. Here are your orders. Yeah, uh, I, I think, <laughs> if I get my ruler out, there's about two millimeters ahead with Charlie P over Tim Dury, both saying the... Sorry, I put the in. Was that from the five doctors, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And two people got it in text very, very quickly indeed. So uh, those are the trivia ones, uh, questions that we have. Um, I'm saying I did that, Anthony, and others that are new to our show, because uh, Mike Randathor, that's not on mic today, um, with his Radio Free Camelin on Fridays, often does a trivia night quiz, which include dot two things. And uh, I, it, it is unbelievable to me how quick some of these people get the... Uh, the answers and uh, <laughs> I mean that was only a 20 second clip but I think the answers went up after about 5 seconds ok not particularly the best clip but um, again of all the representations that could have been made from Doctor Who um, well there is one more in the list I won't mention what it is because we haven't got to it yet but um, should they be there and if there are two from Doctor Who should this one be so much lower down the list than the other one we'll get to. So any any takers on those mixed questions? I think it should be a little higher, but I love the I, cyber. I'm surprised, yeah. Go on, uh, Anthony. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Let him No, go. you're not interrupting. You're on the show. You're not interrupting. You're on the show. No, it's, I have to agree with him. I, I definitely think it should have been higher. I don't, I'm looking at the list now, and I'm, I'm surprised at the what is the logic behind the ordering of the the the, the characters displayed here well one presumes that, uh, it's um if it's a proper poll it's it's just by sheer uh, statistics you know by percentages but uh, there may only be as little as half a percent uh, true. you know okay. between, I didn't think of that. between 3 or 4 uh you know i mean uh, you know number 4 could get uh, 18%, number 15 could get, you know, 13%. True, I didn't think of that. Okay, right. and um, again, the Cybermen are such um, uh, a developed uh, race, um, very difficult to, to put them into one generic title in a way. I mean, uh, Benjamin's probably somebody who could talk about that. I mean, um, they, they, 
the early Cybermen I thought were very, very scary. They had the this very sort of sing-songy voice, and the, their mouths were just gaping holes, really. Um, but to that early audience, I thought they were perhaps even more scary than some of these stormtrooper type, you know, stomp, stomp, stomp down the street business. Some of them more complicated to classify because you've got at least three distinct strands of Cybermen ignoring the costumes. There are at least three different breeds of Cybermen that we have seen in Doctor Who. You have the ones that stayed on their home planet, Mondas, and of course they presumably got wiped out in the 10th planet. You have, you have the, the basic principle that a whole bunch of them had moved over to Telos and other planets and became more spacefaring, and those are the ones we usually see in the classic series. And then Russell T. Davies created the concept of Cybermen from another universe where they were developed on Earth, and through a scenario, brought those Cybermen over to our universe. So now, when we saw the Cybermen in the Pandora opens, because of the whole costume issue where they couldn't afford to make new costumes, we don't know if the Cybermen in that story were from the alternate universe or one from our universe and it was just an issue of the prop department. <laughs> so you got all these different types of Cybermen all, all going stomping around and they all seem to uh, want to make life difficult for Earth. But apart from that, they tend to have rather different motivations. <laughs> Right, yeah. And um, most other species don't get that complex. Right, and uh, that's the, uh, the, the, the ones uh, built by Lumic character. And I keep wanting to say Cyberdyne whenever I... Yeah, I keep wanting to say Cyberdyne, but that's uh, uh, t- um, the blooming film, isn't it? Tim, what's the, ne- what's the name of the Lumic ones? What's the C stand oh, for? Oh, Cybers. Cybers. Cybers Industries. Cybers Industries. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Diane, um, any comments on the Cybermen in this list? No. <laughs> yeah, you see, you can't just sit back, you know, we'll make you work. <laughs> I know, but I've, I'm also trying to fight coughing, so that's why I'm staying Oh, <laughs> dear, dear. Okay, well, uh, best wishes with that. Uh, as long as you don't scratch any lungs, on, uh, is it gold coins on yourself, you should be all right. <laughs> The only um, Doctor Who monsters to give me night to have given me a nightmare. Wow! <laughs> None of the other right. fans do that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, you know how it is. You you have something. Well, I had I dreamt one night, and for whatever reason, the Cybermen were storming around uh, Manassas, where I live, and they never actually managed to pull off anything because the dream didn't finish. But yeah. You know, and then it didn't help because a few weeks later, someone started walking in my neighborhood, and I'd seen Silver Nemesis and this guy's radio stuff, which he had for listening, uh, and his headphones looked just like the two uh, people who the Cybermen had converted in Silver Nemesis. I just read a tweet, I think it was yesterday, from Adam Purcell of uh, Staggering Stories, saying he'd just rewatched uh, Silver Nemesis, and he thought, um, you know, if you can take uh, it with a pinch of salt, he actually thought it a bit better than he, he, he expected it would be. Um, 
But it's actually uh, one of my son's favourite stories, that with the, the Seventh Doctor. Uh, uh, I know it's not a very highly ranked by many people, but I suppose it was just um, the Seventh Doctor's his doctor. So uh, I'm sure for some Matthew would like that. Darth, you've been very quiet today. Um, is it lack of approval of the list or lack of things to comment? No, I was just waiting for everybody else to talk on that. Because I don't believe that the Cybermen should be on this list at all. I think that they're terrible creatures. And, and what has been described by Benjamin as complexity, and I put it in quotes, is a, a total lack, a total lack of vision, and um, an inability to actually come up with a coherent backstory for these creatures. And I think that the fact that they're in the list um, betrays the very British nature of this poll. I think if this, this were done by an American magazine, the Cybermen would in no way be in this list. They wouldn't. How many Americans yeah. even know who the Cybermen are? Um, yeah. uh, it's just a... I, I hate the Cybermen. I think that they are the weakest, just about the weakest creation in the, the um, Doctor Who back catalog. And not only should they never be used again, but they should never have been brought into the new series. Um, I, it, it baffles me that, that this group is in the list. It really does. They were certainly overplayed at one point. I can never remember which doctor it was. Uh, Trump. That... Trump. Five times. Oh, that was five I times. knew there was one that five times. Yeah, I can never remember whether it was the fifth doctor that had them so many times. Uh, somebody else that had them five times. So thanks for clarifying that for me. It was Trump that had them a lot. Uh, well, you must be at least somewhat um, at ease is the fact that we've lost so many stories of uh, his. Anyway, no. okay. Any... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stories. I just think they're. I mean, and the thing is, the strongest period for the Cybermen is, you know, with Trump. It's it's sort of after that. It's sort of the eighties that really falls apart. Well, of course, the Cybermen was seen then really as you know a possible future. You know, uh, I, I remember reading articles in the paper where you know, you'd see and they'd show a picture of a human and you know you can replace the bone, you can place the chin, you give him a false eye, you give him a hearing aid, and and it was things like you know 36% of you can be replaced, uh, and then this will be up to 50%, you know by uh, the the uh, the end of the millennium, which of course was uh, coming up to the year 2000, 2001. Um, so it, it was something that was talked about in the 60s and 70s. Well, uh, you know, we're all, I mean, we're all going to be wearing silver clothes for a start. Sure. And I mean, I quite agree that that's how they started out. I think at 10th Planet, they are scary on that level of, of, you know, this is the future coming to get you. But I think very quickly after that, it falls away. And it's really, you know, the one good thing that Russell T. Davies did is by uh, reorienting the Cybermen is that he sort of brought that back. He brought back this, uh, he tried to make it relevant to modern day by, you know, uh, it's sort of doing that again, saying this is, you know, the replacement of body parts, but also this idea that you know, people are always trying to upgrade whatever technology that they have. So, I mean, in a way that's true to the spirit of the very original design, but for the most part, Cybermen have never been, not really a big deal. You know, I mean, it, it got sort of, re-exploited, I guess, in, in spare parts and the big finish thing. And that's what people try to remember about Cybermen is they remember, you know, Tim Plant and they remember spare parts without also remembering that that's the minority of stories, that by and large, they are just walking robots. That's all that they are. Uh, right. That's what I hate about them. Okay, anybody else want to make comment? Uh, Tim, do you want to 
stand up for the Cybermen? Well, other than to repeat what I always say when people say uh, one day our Cybermen will return to Doctor Who, I, I say no they won't because they brought the Cybermen back in the way that they want to bring them back and they're not going to suddenly bring back the old Cybermen. Okay. don't see that happening. Okay, and uh, let me just break off to say thank you to Logan for for your help and thanks for joining the show. Uh, have, have a good great. rest of the show, everyone. I just I got some stuff I got to do. I got to drop off. Okay, cheers. All right. Bye, Roland. Bye. Okay, any, um, anybody else in the room not had a, their say on Cybermen? And if not, we'll move along. Okay, I'm going to take that as uh, time to move on. And the next one, and I do have a short clip, is a pilot from Farscape. We just have to hope that Zan can stall him. Zan? Zan's on their ship? Pilot, I've also docked and I'm coming toward what I think is their commander. There's no one here, though. We're still targeted, Zan. Perhaps they've automated their weapon. You must find a way to stop them from firing. And, of course, um, does anybody want to just explain the, the, the premise of Farscape in terms of the way it's, um, it's uh, realised? Because, as far as I understand it, it's both uh, real-life actors and... Is it, are the Jim Henson puppets? Or someone's... Jim Henson's Preacher Shop out of London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, they filmed the show in Australia. Basically, Brian Henson and whoever the rest of the development team were They've been working on this idea for years. They originally pitched it to Fox, and eventually they got it pitched for sci-fi. And the concept is an astronaut has a theory on how to harness wormholes. He gets the funding, goes up with a spacecraft, something goes wrong, the wormhole knocks him to the far side of the galaxy where you have all these races who are interacting with each other and warring with each other. There's a humanoid type race that's largely the boss of everyone and sort of like a British Empire type thing and you, he winds up with a group of people, a group of aliens and they wind up traveling off trying to keep away from the human type race and they get into various adventures over the next four years and their ship is a living creature that has a symbiotic relationship with this other race and pilots is the member of the other race who is implanted in the ship. So he's he can't leave the ship. Right. Uh, so, um, and uh, we seem to get a, a few little pieces. I mean, again, it's one of the ones that Ian would have probably wanted to talk about. And I think Mike Randathor is um, one of the fans of this. And as I welcome guest 17 uh, into the room, and uh, we're talking, if you look at the top where it says Dave AC, uh, you'll well, that depends if you're in the Plo clan. I'll put it in again. This is the actual poll that we're going through. We're starting at 20, working our way up. We're at number 12, uh, which is Pilot from Farscape. Any other fans of the show then who want to mention this one? Yeah, um, uh, actually, uh, Pilot's race were, was exactly that. Um, uh, like um, um, he just said, uh, I believe... They were implanted in a lot of ships um, in in that universe, because if I remember, there was an episode where they ran into another one. Right. Well, they 
they they do that. That I think that's what pilots race is. Is I don't think they're necessarily bred, but their their you know their species is for being a part of the Leviathans, <clears throat> where they are biologically integrated into the ship, and they did um, on several occasions. Uh, two come to mind. One, they had an episode where they showed the um, pilot who was a pilot previous to Moya on Moya, previous to the one we know from the show, and they show how they flashed back to Erin Soon and her interaction with Pilot when Pilot was brought aboard uh, Moya. And Pilot was brought aboard Moya, captured, and the old Pilot ripped out and forcefully reintegrated into Moya. And when Erin Soon was an active peacekeeper, she you know, witness that, and there's there were security tapes that were shown to the rest of the prisoners aboard, you know, um, Cardargo and Zahn and rest, and uh, Crichton also saw this, so they got to know, you got to know a little bit more about Aaron Soon's background aboard Moya and as a peacekeeper, but also pilots. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, also, yeah. Yeah, also called pilots... One one thing about the race was they were supposed to be a long-lived race, but their their lifespan was longer than the Leviathans. However, if one joined the Leviathan, it was for life. And assuming you lived as long as the Leviathan did, when the Leviathan died, you died. So okay, you had thank a you complex relationship that. where if you happened, where if one became one, if one of these ones joined the Leviathan they were significantly shortening the lifespan. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. So the ship and the pilot were, had a symbiotic relationship, do you mean? Is that, is that what you meant? Yes. Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. Sort of installed into the ship. Right. right. One or because two episodes where they sort of go into a bit more detail on how... Right. Because that, that, that concept has been explored... Uh, a, a few ways in science fiction. Anne McCaffrey uh, in the ship that sang had had that sort of idea, I think. And in one of the Star Trek, I think it was Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, they had that one where they had that ice cream cornet thing in space. I can't remember what it was called. It was some uh, strange vessel that they had to have um, a telepathic um, pilot for. And that was played by the chap who ended up playing um, the mayor in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I can never remember his name. But um, anybody remember what the the science fiction one was, the Star Trek one? It's called the 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 man or the Tin Man. It's Tin, Tin Man. Tin Jack. Man. Five points. And um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so so right, that was the relationship. Again, it was one of my son's favourite programmes, that. And I think Ian, if he was on the show, would have mentioned at this point that uh, he's interviewed Gigi Edgley, who is one of the characters on the show, plays the, the blonde, uh, white-haired uh, crew member. I don't know the character's name on the show. And uh, what was that you put in the text, Benjamin? Pilot was... Um, the, the voice of Pilot was done by an actor who played what? Crace. Yes, Crace oh. was the original antagonist on the show. Though he well, eventually... Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, that certainly yeah, like... gets a bit of a thumbs up on this list then from the people in the room. 
Anyone else want to declare whether they're in, like a dragon's den, on this one? Or should we move on up the list? Okay, let's move on. The next one is uh, number 11, and it's the Borg from Star Trek, and I have a short clip. This is a Lucutius, if I can get that right, of the Borg. We are Borg. You will be assimilated. I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. We are the Borg. Lower your shield and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. And five points to Mythic Doctor Who, Anthony, as he put exactly in the text the words that were just spoken, and we shall add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. So well done, Anthony. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, uh, counterpoint to the Cybermen, in effect. Um, in effect, they, they serve the same purpose, I suppose. Um, of course, it was... Um, and was it encounter at Farscape where um, um, they, they met the Borg before they were supposed to ever encounter them? Um, if I'm correct with that one, it was um, what's the name of the creature? The what's it called? The um, you mean Q? But you're Q, off by yeah. episode. You're, you're talking encounter at Farpoint is the um, episode the, that introduces Q, not the episode that introduces the Borg. Which is the one where he suddenly he flings them out? He flings into, them out in the space, and, and yeah, Guinan is there, and she's oh, what is it, you know, she's something's concerned. I yeah. don't, I forget the name of the episode, but it's definitely later. It's definitely it, you know, it's Q Hugh. Q Hugh, you're right. There you go. Ah, thank you. It's like so third episode with Q, and I think um, I I right. disagree. You know, a lot of people do say that Cybermen and Cybermen done better, and in a way that's true. But actually, what it is is it's the very clever blending of Cybermen and Dalek. I mean, I don't think that it's intentional. It might have been. Who knows? We know we know that the Star Trek Next Generation crew were big fans of Doctor Who because there's filmed evidence of that. Um, but uh, as to whether they sat down and thought, okay, are we going to you know redo the Cybermen for our own purposes or whatever? I don't know if it's that intentional, but it does blend together the major aspect of both Dalek and Cybermen in that you have, you know, creatures that are being augmented by um, technology. And you also have really the catchphrases of early Cybermen. You know, resistance is futile is actually Cybermen. Or, yeah, I mean, it might be resistance is useless, but it's the same basic sentiment that goes all the way back to 10th planet. But beyond that, you also have this, you know, hive mind collectivity thing. And that's really Dalek, um, the idea that no one person is, or no one individual is more important than the hierarchy. Um, that's a very Dalek thing to do. And I think that the, the Borg should actually be way higher on this list, if not number one, um, just because you're taking two sort of great ideas and 
you're still giving us an actor to act with. You're still giving, you know, viewers a chance to relate with uh, a villain on a level that you can't with a Dalek. Um, and not only that, but uh, it doesn't have to be just a human. You know, as we went in and, and explored the, the Borg more carefully, what we learned was that Klingons could be Borg, that anybody could be Borg. And so you have a, 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 there's no one set way that a Borg looks, really. Um, right. There's Borg technology, but there's not a single Borg outline, which makes them, you know, also very good for, you know, the back end of uh, any genre production, and that is things like toy making. You know, you don't have to recolor the Daleks red, blue, and yellow. All you have to do is make a a little creature that's, you know, sell the Klingon Borg, sell the, uh, you know, human Borg, sell the whatever Borg that you want to, and you have another product that you can put on the shelves. So it's a very clever way to tie up lots of different things um, into one package. And I just, I just think that they're, they're great. Overused, perhaps, in Voyager, maybe. But nevertheless, at their core, you know, they... Entirely, they are 100% solely responsible for Star Trek: The Next Generation being a popular show. The difference between um, Best of Both Worlds Part One and Best of Both Worlds Part Two, in terms of rating and the kickstart that it gave that show, it's phenomenal. I don't think we would have had a seven-year show. I don't think that would have happened at all without the Borg. And then, you know, that's clearly the most popular and money-making of the um, mm. the films. I mean, some things I liked about it a lot. I mean, one of the things that I liked about it was when, uh, at one point, they go aboard a Borg ship. They're completely ignored because they're not they're not a threat. So they just uh, they they just walk about inside the Borg ship and and nothing no notice is taken. Um, I like the um, the sort of um, defensive shields that it had. It reminded me a little bit like the ones that they used certainly in the film of June, where you had this sort of like um, uh, thing that adapted. Um, you know, you could fire through one, but the next one that came, their shield would now be modulated against it. But um, the, what the, I think the the weakest story uh, of it was: did they have one called Hugh? It was some. Uh, I think it was a, a, a young lad playing a Borg. Right. Is he called Hugh? Is that right? That's the name that he eventually took it. Right. Uh, to me, do you not think that diluted or weakened the um, the sort of sinister, uh, almost, um, you know, there's just no way that you're going to defeat these sort of people. It mm. sort of broke the myth a little bit, maybe. I know that that's a popular sentiment. I don't particularly agree that that's what the breaking point was because um, they very cleverly used Hugh later in the um, season six um, season finale, Descent. And eventually, I think a lot of menace was brought back into that. I don't think that that was the deal breaker for the Borg at all. Right. And then didn't they have a story where Data aligned himself with them? Oh, no, it wasn't Data. It was his brother, wasn't it? It is Data too. Data through Lore, Data Lore, and Hugh are all in that one. Just ah, right, right. That's probably the one. So perhaps it did make an impact. Okay. Um, uh, while we wait for, because I think uh, Anthony might have something to say, but he's busy at the moment. Charlie, uh, anything you want to get on this? No, I uh, think, apart uh, from our cube, yes. In our design, 
Yeah. Um, no, I think uh, pretty much. I think what what Dar said was was good. Um, yeah, it's like probably yeah probably my favorite um, Star Trek villain or nemesis or whatever. You know, best of both worlds. I probably my favorite uh, two parter uh, of the series. And yeah, I, I never. I, yeah, and I enjoyed First Contact. You know, I, you know they did get overused in um, Voyager, but. Yeah. Um or even you know that the the whole that whole little bit at the beginning of um the first episode of Deep Space Nine, that whole little flashback of the um of the the um the battle of uh Worf was it the three five nine or whatever it was. I uh, I, I thought I thought was good. I do remember when um you know the John uh, Picard was taken over as Lucius. You really yeah. felt as though blimey, they're really up against it now. I mean now they're gonna get out of this one sort of thing. Anybody right. else in the room? Uh, Diane, is this one? Oh, Diane's dropped off audio. Anybody else want to comment on this particular one, Benjamin? Uh, no. <laughs> well, that's clear enough. I'm sure, um, uh, again, we're, unfortunately, we haven't got... Uh, we're missing uh, three or four of our uh, collective. Uh, we're missing Helen, as I mentioned at the beginning. We're missing Romana. We're missing uh, um, Howley T and... Uh, Quite a few others. Obviously, uh, Mike uh, is unable to call in. Ian's unable to call in. Uh, so um, we're um, got a good contingent in the room. But um, one or two of those I know would probably want to have spoken on this particular one more than many of the others. Okay then. Well, with that, I'll I'll move along. And if anybody else wants to revert back to this one later, they can do so. Uh, the next one we've got up is uh, at number ten. We're halfway through the list now, and uh, coming up to one hour forty minutes. So we may do this in just over the two hour mark. And that is, uh, and they don't know anything about this one. So it's Predators, uh, the Predator franchise, and unless it means. Um, um, the the one that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger played is that is is that the one we're talking about? I was up against. That's what it'll mean. Is that the one he was up against? Right. Yeah. Well, in that case, I, I you know the cloaking part of it was the best part, I suppose. Reminded me a little bit of the um, one of the group of villains in uh, in Star Trek Voyager, the ones that they were up against. Or was that a copycat of the Predators? The ones that collected the souvenirs of the bones and that. Um, yeah, it's, speak. Probably, it's almost certainly a copycat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, any, um, any big fans? I, I know in the game world, um, you know, uh, Aliens vs. Predators is... Um, and in the... You know, there's a lot of support for it, but um, anybody want to actually make a comment on uh, merit, as it were, of this particular member of the poll? I think nope. they're uh, an actual... Did somebody jump in there? No, you... Yeah, come on. Uh, I no, I think they're, they're an actual viable, good creature. I mean, they were scary in the first Predators movie, and the second one was okay... Um, I think they stretched it a little bit too much. They did the Aliens versus Predators, which was, again, okay. It wasn't over the top. or It was a little over the top, but it was okay. The second one, I was just bad. Um, I like them as a 
you know, a scary creature, because I think all, all Schwarzenegger, they actually had a certain scariness to them. They were, you know, something to be a little terrified for, about if you're a young child. But it got a little comical as they tried to introduce in other areas or do other films. Um, I have not seen the new remake. Uh, I don't know. I only know very little about it with the uh, Adrian Brody film that just came out. And I don't, I've only seen the trailer, so I couldn't comment on the entirety of the film. But I, I think they, they deserve to be up there with, you know, some of the scariest, uh, you know, favorite monsters and stuff. Um, but as a whole, the franchise started to get very weak as they really, you know, tried to milk it for all they could. Right. I would think, uh, unfortunately, Rick Walls had to drop out. But, um, yeah, um, I remember the, um, is it Danny Glover that was in the uh, the second film as the policeman, wasn't he? Yeah, and that was, that was interesting. Something. That was very interesting because I think towards the end of the film, uh, at the end of the film, he obtains like a, I don't know what type of firearm it is, but it's like a 16th, 17th century firearm that has a name on it or something like that that they give him. It's sort of like proof that how long they've been coming to you know, our planet, which I think was a very interesting twist, and I really thought that was pretty cool. Um, but they didn't pick up on that. I don't know if, if there's comic books or any stories out there that investigated, you know, that concept that they, how long they've been coming here, because I think it would be very interesting to see if it was done right. Okay. Uh, anybody else want to um, mention on this one? No? Okay, then. Well, I'm going to move on because time is moving on. And uh, the next one is Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. And I have a short clip of that. (laughs) I knew it was you. The whole time, I knew it. But the others didn't believe me. And why would that stop you from coming to me? Is that Camellia? They're the one who died. Can I stop that? We can never know what would have happened, Lucy. But what will happen is another matter entirely. You'll help? Of course. As will you. Oh, we wish I was braver. If you were any braver, you'd be a lioness. Now, I think your friends have slept long enough, don't you? And the list of Merlin in text... It is titled Favourite Monsters, Supernatural Beings and Fantasy Creatures. So I'm assuming that Aslan comes under the Supernatural Beings section of that. But you're quite right, the um, uh, the uh, Greatest Monsters title that I put as a sort of lid title uh, doesn't really fit this one. But um, again, to uh, uh, the people on mic, anybody want to uh, take up the running with Aslan as a... Oh, I can jump in if you'd like. Yeah, please do. Uh, well, Aslan, I, I, as some, most people know, other than being into sci-fi and Doctor Who, I'm a big Tolkien and Inklings and C.S. Lewis fan. And uh, I enjoy the Narnia stories as literary. You know, if we're talking Aslan as the film, it doesn't work for me because I have some issues when books are translated from book to film. I understand that film is different medium and that you have to do it certain ways, but... Like what they did for Lord of the Rings, I think they weakened the characters in um, the 
you know, in the film. And there was one aspect that I really loved about Aslan in the book is when Peter was going to face, um, it excuse me, but it's the wolf when he comes into the camp and Peter draws his sword and he faces the, the monster. Aslan tells everybody to clear out and let the boy earn his spurs. And I really wanted that line in the film because, you know, it, it gives Aslan as this guide and it gives Aslan as this um, mentor and seeing the potential in the heroes and the characters. And for Peter, that line not to be delivered to Peter, it just really takes away also from Peter's character who is growing as a hero. And Aslan in the film, I, I mean, we can go into whole you know, other discussion about the Narnia series being an allegory for Christianity and stuff like that in the books. But in the film, even that, to me, um, it doesn't shine through, that element that C.S. Lewis was writing. Uh, and perhaps some people will, you know, disagree with me, and that's what this is for. But um, to me, Aslan doesn't work in the film. Okay, well, I know that Darth's a very big fan of the actual two movies and uh, so Darth can do you take on board those points that criticism well um, I found the adaptations to be satisfying and I, I've read the books a lot of times I, I wasn't looking for that particular line um, but I can I can appreciate the stance that's been taken here because when you read a book it's a very personalized sort of experience and and everybody when they read a book takes away different things and if that book is then translated into film you hope that the things that you found that was so special and remarkable about the book will naturally make it onto screen but sometimes they just don't and if you know it can be a deal breaker for you um i thought that the second movie was a wholesale improvement upon the way that the book was written um but that's a controversial position a lot of people don't like prince caspian and the way that it was made i think it's just fabulous the way that it's made and the problem that i would have here with Aslan being on this list is and it's sort of a devil's choice I guess because all these categories are artificial but to me he fits the category of another list that's in this um, series and that is, I, I think he's actually a hero I don't think that he is just just a monster just a supernatural being or just a fantasy creature I think he is actively the hero of the piece and, and so therefore should be on a different list but you know I'm I'm glad that he's rated sort of high I, I, it's hard to think that it's you know it's just number yeah. 10 because you know these are some of the first tales that I ever read um, and some of the first works of fiction of any kind so therefore Aslan is a very sort of special character for me and to think of him as being 10 back from uh, our eventual number one here is just ludicrous just ridiculous to me but, I, I definitely uh, have to agree with him on that. Yeah. Right. And I would add that um, the, the the episode we're doing in a couple of weeks' time, as I mentioned from this list, favourite sages, mentors, and boffins, if you wanted to sidestep the, the religious parallels with uh, Aslan being, you know, Jesus or whatever, uh, you could class him as a, a, um, a sage. A sure. sage. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Well, you, you could definitely see him as a sage, but then you can't, you know... Uh, eradicate what is said, Aslan says to the characters at the end of the Narnia series, you know, when it gets wrapped up to, you know, that he is, it is basically implied that he is Jesus, you know, and um, that he's just taking this form as Aslan in this particular world. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, I and should I'm, take it. Sorry, I was going to say the 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 two films that have been made have been successful enough that there's a, a strong likelihood that the the whole series of books will be made into film. Is that? Well, I heard that with the. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, let me uh, go ahead. I'll I'll comment afterwards. Uh, anyway, anyway let me touch. Yeah, we've got a slight. What it is, Anthony, is if you haven't been on torture before, sometimes we get you know a, a half second delay, but it's just enough for people to tread on other people's toes slightly. But uh, please, uh, you've got the floor. You've got the floor. Okay, no, just uh, I heard that the, the with the, the Voyager Dawn trailer that's coming out this December, that they might be combining elements of either the uh, the, the Silver Chair or the Last Battle because uh, they would have to take a step backward because. They haven't done Magician's Nephew, nor Horse and His Boy. So if they're doing the Voyager Dawn Treader, then they're either going to combine the Silver Chair or the Last Battle with it. This is what I've heard, but please, others who are speaking here, correct me if I'm wrong. That's, uh, Darth, do you know anything about that? Um, I don't know right off the top of my head. Because I've my approach to these things is that even though I know what the stories are, and potentially I you know, therefore couldn't be spoiled... Um, because they are different works, I've tried not to be spoiled about them. And I think that that helped me a lot with uh, my enjoyment of Prince Caspian, because if I had known what they were doing beforehand, I might have been apprehensive about the changes that they made. And because I didn't know what anything about the, their particular treatment, I went in and just appreciated it for what it was. So I, I, I don't know the particular plans for Voices on Treader. I do know that they have optioned all seven of the books. I know that. Um, right. And, and I thought I had read some two, three years ago that they had planned to make every one of them. But, uh, you know, I think Mythic is quite correct that there is a, there's a, you know, chronological problem. There's a narrative problem. It might just what would exist, I guess, in uh, the, uh, the, um, Lord of the Rings stuff that if you you can't just do it straight, um, and, and uh, but I think that I think that what their plan was is that they were trying to release the movies with the titles like the books had originally been released, and that would therefore cause all sorts of chronological problems. Right. I, I mean, uh, you, you can't. Write, I mean, like with the Harry Potter ones, uh, the, the 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 they're going through each year of their 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 life at Hogwarts and. Apart from splitting the last story into two films, they've done that. And you could argue, of course, with the Harry Potter franchise coming to the end, that almost opens up the market even more for uh, the um, this series of books. I think they're lovely. I mean, I I used to not only read them myself, but um, I used to read them to my class. So uh, you know, they are really brilliant, uh, brilliant books, and uh, and then they are not. You know they don't talk down to children, although you could argue that they're trying to give very complex uh, analogies uh, in a way that children will take the adventure. But um, lovely, and it's been adapted on the BBC as I've mentioned before. Uh, done very successful adaptions um, in not just um, you know the big movie versions of them. So anybody else want to? We're we're pressing time a little bit, but I will take well, any more comments. Well, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, it seems to me the witches were the more effective monsters in this series. It wasn't always the same witch, 
So it certainly you get the, it certainly feels like it's the same witch family, and that you could have had the witches in there as the monster, either the white witch or the green witch or whatever. Also, uh, the you could have Weeper Cheap. He's not strictly speaking a monster, but then again, the list isn't being all that strict. So there were a couple of characters they could have done other than Aslan if they wanted to represent the Narnia stories. And I did have an idea. Uh, if they wanted to, to make the movies work, um, I, I personally believe that they... I always liked the published order, and I thought it was a bit silly when they started changing the order, and you suddenly started seeing them change the order of the books. But uh, uh, Silver Chair, Horse and His Boy, and Magician's Nephew, apart from Aslan and Narnia itself, they don't seem to have any... Well, you have some witch overlap, but there's very little character overlap. So if you had the budget, you could make all three films at the same time and release them like six months apart and have the series work to release all seven films. Well, again, there's, I suppose there's the, no the, actual the, overlap there. Uh, yeah. So uh, and, and if if there if there was overlap with the with the young children, of course. They're growing up. That's one of the reasons why they've done that with the, the Harry Potter ones. I think the only reason why there's been some delay, didn't they have to refilm about a third of the, the most recent one because all the hula about going 3D was uh, coming out and basically uh, they restarted on the um, on the seventh and eighth movies again um, to make sure that when it did come out, it would be um, a 3D version available. Again, I don't know whether the, um, these books would ever come out, uh, these films would actually ever move to 3D. seems to be the way forward for these very big uh, things. And of course, I don't suppose the Chronicles of Narnia could have even been made into movies 10 years ago. Although, how long did the first one come out, Darth? Was it about five years ago the first one came out? I think so. I want to say it was... So it was probably pushing things then. I remember the, there was an awful lot of um, hoo-ha in the the computing world about you know the lions, Aslan's mane, you know, being a little bit like the monster in uh, Monsters Inc. You know, virtually every every hair of the mane being independently, um, you know, realised or whatever Program, they do, yeah. programmed. Yeah. Okay. Well, if the pressure of time is urging me to move on, any any last thoughts from anyone before we move along? Okay, let's uh, move uh, to The Thing, from The Thing, and I haven't got a thing about The Thing, so anybody want to say something about The Thing? And I'm assuming this is The Thing from The Adams Family, is it? No, it's The Thing from The Thing. Yeah, it's it's The (laughs) Thing. Oh, well... That's it right there. Then enlighten me someone, please. Oh, oh, John Carpenter's The Thing, or no, Howard Hawks' The Thing. And of course, yeah. Rick Wall's not here to mention it. Go on. I was just going to say, yeah, it's kind of vague of uh, which which thing they're talking about, about The Thing. It's, it's either the, uh, right. the thing right. played by James Arness in the, the Howard Hawks version, or the the thing from the 1982 movie, um, the, you know, the John Carpenter film that was... That was you know this um, like animatronic uh, 
thing that uh, it, you know the John Car- um, the Howard Hawks version is basically sort of um, I don't know if it's an update on on the um, just you know the uh, monster that you know that feeds on blood an alien that feeds on blood and you know there's there's and that um, regenerates of that because there's part when that you know it loses its hand and it, and and they uh, they take the hand and they put a, put a uh, IV uh, uh, they you know they they feed it blood and the hand moves by itself and the um, the 82 version the, the alien thing is basically something that copies anything and then um, any life form is you know it duplicates a dog it duplicates other humans. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I was thinking it was either the, the thing from the Adams Family. Ah, I remember a film a long time ago with Peter Laurie in. Was it called The Beast with Five Fingers? It was right. like a piano playing hand. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's the vision that's coming to my mind. So I'm totally off on this one. Yeah, or The Thing from the Fantastic Four. That's the other one that comes to mind. <laughs> okay, uh, anybody got any strong motivation to talk about this one as we've got... Uh, seven more to do. I'll take that as a no at this stage. I'm going to be moving faster, folks, so you'll have to step in if you want to. Uh, And we're going to Gizmo from the Gremlins, and I've got a very short clip of this. Unless somebody's pulling my leg, Gizmo's supposed to sing. Yeah, he's watching singing. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, well, I got that clip and I thought, I wonder if that... Because uh, you go on YouTube and half the time you pick things and people have superimposed their own bits over the soundtrack. And I'm thinking, did that really happen in the film or not? Because, again, I don't watch horror films, so it's not Grimms a film I would have watched. horror film, Dave. See, you, you oh, yeah. pour water on them and they go Gee-gee. mad. You pour water on them. Don't you? Oh, just watch yeah, it. One day, don't... Just, just watch it, Dave. It's not a horror film, I assure oh. you. It's a family movie. I thought they all, went, they all went bad when you got put water no, on them. It's definitely a family movie. It's not a 15 or an 18, so therefore it's a family movie. Okay. Well, right, well, I mean, in fa- in fairness to Dave, though, it could be described as a family horror film. It really could be. Mm. It is. It is slightly creepy. If you're a little kid, it's you know. Well, Dave. It, it, oh, that's it, me. Well, no, that's if you're me. this is one of the this is one of the films that actually helped to create the PG-13 rating. In right. Mm. So yeah, it. It it definitely pushed the the boundaries of what a PG was. So, well, I, 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 I thought Jurassic Park did that when I, when I first saw that it was rated as a twelve A. I thought those Velociraptors were a bit much for a, a twelve rated film. Uh, I think that's scarier a than Gremlins. Anyway, um, any fans of Gizmo, uh, and I don't mean the. Uh, the internet site where you learn about tech, which I go to quite a lot. I, I find no. it curious that it's on this list. I find it curious that mm. it is this high on the list. Certainly, yeah. I mean, to be number to be number seven, that's just ridiculous. I I know that it was awfully popular. I I mean, it was 
ridiculous. As I recall it, this is one of the uh, first huge explosions in home video. I mean, I think that I'm right in saying that this thing made more on home video, way more than it made in the theaters. And it was quite successful in the theaters. But, like, it made – I, I want to say it made close to $100 million back then in um, home video, which is ridiculous. If you think – I mean, this is mid-'80s. $100 million would have been – Fabulous for the theater, but to make it in home video is just ridiculous. So, I mean, it was definitely a film that was beloved in the 80s. I don't think it's a film that really has that much presence now. It's not a film that I don't think people view as a classic. Um, I mean, sure, maybe genre people do, but I don't think that the you know vast majority of you know mainstream critics would think of it as being absolutely classic. Um, Let's put it this way. I find it curious that you've got Gizmo on this list, but you don't have E.T. But that may be because E.T. is on another list somewhere. But clearly of the 1980s, this is relatively minor in terms of you know, characters, alien characters. So I, I don't know if I'd put it anywhere close to seven. I mean, it is really weird that that's higher than Aslan to me. It's really weird it's higher than the Borg. Um, yeah. Or it's really weird that it's higher than Godzilla because Godzilla is clearly more important. Yes, um, absolutely. So I, I would agree that. I, I, I don't know. It's cute, though. I mean, it's a cute creation. <laughs> I, I think it has to just do with, you know, a certain type of age, because people my age, I think everybody saw Gremlins either in the you know the movie theaters or on video. Because I remember seeing it when it came out in theaters, and yeah, you know, it was yeah, it was a PG move, PG rated movie that involved you know the Gremlins getting into the blenders and exploding the, in the um, microwave. Everybody remembers that scene. So it probably has to do with just you know, if it's it's one of those things that it's burned into your psyche from an early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Impressionable, were you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, any more comments from the floor before we move fairly swiftly on, if we may? We've got some feedback from someone, but... Uh, let's My apologies. That was, it's okay. I'm doing a little work on the online and clicked on something that made some noise, so I apologize. Okay. Um, we're pretty open about things like that, but you obviously need to be careful that um, your personal life doesn't spill over into a public forum. And uh, number six is The Shadows from Babylon 5. Well, again, I'm not really a Babylon 5 person. Uh, it all seems to be politics and um, Napoleon Bonaparte or whatever he was called in that. So, um, again, uh, anybody want to... Uh, make a nod for the shadows. I haven't got a clip for them. I'm not even sure whether they spoke or whether they were, they were just these sort of um, uh, cloudy, shadowy figures. If you're not going to say anything, we will move on. I don't know anything, but I, kn- I know if Squidlord were here, he would have something to say because they're apparently uh-huh. his favorite part of that particular genre. Whether they, again, deserve to be this high... I just find that incredibly weird because, I mean, Babylon 5, even its heyday, was not something that was seen by a lot of people. And to think that something from Babylon 5 could be more prominent than the Borg, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. But, but Squidlord, I know, uh, would say, oh, yeah, they're fabulous. Uh, in fact, I think I, I remember they were doing a Babylon 5 thing over on um, Media Outsiders with Logan, I think, and uh, they were debating the you know, what character each one of them would be. And Squidward was like, yes, I would be the, the shadows. <laughs> if you had to put my personality down, that's what would, because they're, I guess they're essentially sort of the villain of the piece of Babylon five. I don't really know, but right. anyway, they, they, they reminded me when I saw a little clip of it and I couldn't get any audio. I thought they, they look like the, the phantoms in ghosts that come out the ground to drag people down to hell. So I didn't know whether that was their purpose, or they're actually killing. They actually, they actually murder somebody in Babylon Five, don't they? At least I know that. Okay. Well, if uh, nobody wants to speak up, I, I'm going to move us along. Got to be a little bit more strict as we pass the two-hour mark, and uh, I'm going to go forward to number five now, and it's Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And without me doing the actual pictures, so I don't disturb Anthony. Here's some audio. We need must have the precious. They stole it from us. Sneaky little witches. Wicked witches first. No, not must. Yes, precious first. They will cheat you, hurt you. And that is uh, the great Andy Serkis playing um, Gollum. Uh, and he's doing that where he's in the split personality mode. And um, I've forgotten what the name is. Smeagol and... Um, yeah, Smeagol and Gollum. Smeagol and Gollum. Thanks, Benjamin. Uh, anybody... Um, I mean, I think he should definitely be in this list and possibly this high. I mean, in some ways, for some people, he, he was the, the best thing to come. Of Lord of the Rings, other than perhaps uh, her, which was the giant spider. I think it was, was it she or her, the the giant spider. She lob. So, um, anybody want to um, speak up for Gollum? Well, I don't necessarily want to speak up for Gollum in the Jackson version because uh, if we're not if we're not going to discuss the literary versions, I would have to say and do comparisons between this and the literary versions. I, I find the whole script for the Lord of the Rings series as a whole in this version very distasteful. 
Right. And do you think that was just the the, the sheer volume to uh, you know to try and condense the books down, or was it a, a, a director's thing? No, not necessarily. When I have a problem with these films, and we can do a whole other discussion about this, but when we, I want to bring it down to Gollum, but just as an overview, is I appreciate what they put into the films, and I know that, and I've read, and I am currently doing my annual reread of The Lord of the Rings, and having read The Lord of the Rings uh, innumerable amounts of times, the... I understand that there is so much to it that you can't translate everything to film, that you have to cut it all out, and that you have to cut certain things out that can't translate, or you, you just you want to set a pacing a certain way. But to me, which I wrote, and I published an essay shortly after the films came out. It's in the collection called Translating Tolkien, Text and Film. And what I concentrated on was the depiction of certain heroes and characters in the Lord of the Rings films that, to me, were flattened by the screenwriting process, that the, the heroes uh, and, and, and don't live up to their literary counterparts. Gollum, um, for me, doesn't translate, translate well at all because they were going for the shock value, in my opinion. They were going for the shock value of his split personality and his choices as to what he wants to do about the ring. And to me, Frodo in the film depended far too much on Gollum and his his contribution, his comments on what they should do next, because the dynamic of Frodo and Sam is completely lost from the book to film. And Gollum, uh, to me, is... I love Andy Serkis as an actor. I think he did a fine performance, but what he was given as a script just doesn't do the character justice. What was presented on film, do you get a taste of what Gollum was about? Yes, you do. But it, it was just over the top for me. And I'm not just saying that for as a fan of the books, I'm saying it as a viewer of the film because I recently rewatched them, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it just, just oversaturated with Gollum. Too much dependency on Gollum. He does do certain things. And he does have a major role in the books, but it just the writers of the screenplay, Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, um, Philippe Boyens, all felt, and they say this in the documentaries and the commentaries of the films, that the Lord of the Rings was this broken down book that they took apart, took it, and felt that it needed a reworking. That uh, they sat with it the longest, so they consider themselves the top Tolkien scholars in the world, which is a load of crap. And they rewrote it and put it onto screen. And to have that sort of arrogance about uh, a classic epic and doing this and presenting, they completely presented Gollum in the entirely wrong way. And is he a classic character like Aslan and like they were sort of the pre-characters to what we have now on screen. And now that they're being depicted on screen, of course they're going to be translated a little differently, perhaps, because they want to set a certain pacing. But I still think the characters like Gollum should have the air of what they were in the books. And to me, they they are completely unsuccessful. Uh, granted, we can, no, granted, we can say... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, th this is the delay factor. I'm sorry about that. Um, th when you say you've watched the films, have you also watched the extended version of the films? And does that readdress the situation and, and put the balance a little bit better to your mind? Or have you not uh, experienced the extended versions? 
Yes, I have. That's actually the versions that my wife and watch. My wife and I will watch when we decide to watch them. And um, actually, if you have the extended versions, I was such a fan of the first film until I started to really look at them and say, "Wait a minute, they do a little." I watched the first film and I saw the first film uh, dozens of times in the theater. And if you have the extended version and you put in the DVD and you go to the fan credits. My name is in there. Oh, great. So, I mean, that's how much of a fan I was of the first film. So, but as they progressed, when they got to the Two Towers and the Return of the King, I lost complete and utter faith in what they were presenting. And that goes oh. for the extended versions. It, it, I've watched the extended versions. I, the theatrical versions actually have, are different than, of course, they don't have the extended version. For instance, the difference is, Return of the King extended version, um, theatrical version, I'm sorry. When you, If you saw it in a the theater or even on the DVD version, at the very end where Gollum is dancing on the precipice with the ring in Mount Doom, Frodo runs into him and like a quarterback, or not like a quarterback, but like a football player, runs into Gollum and pushes him into the fire. Now, this completely changes the structure of Frodo's character because now he's committing murder. In the actual book, he's Gollum dances on the precipice and falls in. Um, in the extended version, this is actually corrected where Gollum falls in. Yeah, I must admit, that that's the one I, I remember watching, yeah. Um, t- two things. Uh, I mean, the, the, the extended one, I preferred it for me because you had all that bit about, is it Saruman at the beginning of the second film that that was dropped from the theatrical release? Yeah, the beginning of the third uh, film. Was it the beginning of the third film? Thank you. Yeah, yeah um, Christopher Lee actually dropped from, from going to the premiere because they did that. They cut him out of the third film. Yeah, because it was about a 20-minute section, wasn't it, that, that, that they had to drop. Um, no, and the other like thing is, of course, um, the, it's, it was well-known around fan films that uh, Lord of the Rings had about eight endings at the end. I don't know quite how that squares with the book. Uh, but, you know, the, you think you've reached the end and then there's another story. And you think you've reached the end and there's another story. And it, it seems to have about six, seven or eight endings. Well, the book has more. The book has I mean, more. It, Oh yeah, in the book, there's a whole other battle scene where uh, the hobbits go back to Hobbiton, and it's you know taken over by forces of Saruman, and they have to do another battle there before the thing even gets close to the end. So, well, I think that's the point of what Tolkien is trying to make: is he's setting, he's closing the story with the you know beginning in, in Hobbiton and ending in Hobbiton because it's the idea of the journey that the hobbits go through, but when they return, their home is completely transformed by the industrious Saruman. So now that they have to fight for their freedom because it's reached their shores, so now they have to fight for their own homeland, which they thought would be initially unaffected, and they cut that completely from the films. Right. Would you placed, just going back to the list for the moment, would you have placed this higher than five in this list? Would it be... Towards the top of your list, only if it was a literary golem, not the film golem. If it's if, if we're look, right. as we're looking at a film golem, I play, actually place it lower. Okay, right. Uh, well, thank you for that. And see, uh, anybody want to uh, rebuff or agree or what? On I, I would just rebuff one point. Is you know I've this last week I've listened to all the commentaries back to back 
on Lord of the Rings, and I really don't find the characterization that you're giving to the filmmakers in terms of them being arrogant about the way that they changed it. Um, there is commentary that they do that. Well, what I heard by and large throughout the commentary when they talked about changing things was not arrogance, but, you know, apolo- there was an apologetic tone in their voice. There was, you know, we hated to do this, but we had to for the structure of the film. And I never got from them that they ever put themselves forward as, you know, the greatest Tolkien experts on the planet. So I would just take a little bit back from that. You can disagree with what they did with Gollum. That's fine. You know, they're having to make choices. And, and it is a, a story in which, you know, almost everybody thought was unfilmable. And it's very difficult to put these elements onto the screen. So, you know, again, this is a thing of, you can you can say that they took out the things that you thought were most important about the books. That's a personal sort of view, but the fact that they got it finished at all, and the fact that it, they were popular, and that people actually liked them, and people, and and the major beats of the story are there. Yeah, it could well, be the toughest. To it could be the toughest thing. It's. I have to. I'm sorry, uh, Dave, but I have to. Compl- I understand what you're no, saying, and which which you say. Hear. Um, I understand what you're saying, or which you know. Uh, my favorite parts in the book, a lot of it was there. Um, it's not that they, my favorite parts were not co- that, that were cut out and not there. It's, that's completely not the case. What they did present, and I, I respect the fact that it's a difficult thing to translate the film, that they got it done. And I don't consider them winning awards and getting high accolades as any uh, gumption that they that they deserve having gotten done. I don't think they, you know, I, I really don't respect their screenwriting at all and that they cut out certain things, great. I understand why that has to be done. But what they did present, my argument in the essay that I published, which I can send you a link to or even email it to you to see what your thoughts are because I respect your thoughts on these shows, so I do would like to see what you think of it, is what they did present is not what they cut out, is what they did present to me completely flattened the entire structure of the heroes. You'd have Aragorn, who is a reluctant king, who doesn't want to accept his own destiny of the shards of Narsal sitting before him. You know, in the book, he's, he's, yes, let's do this. Here's the shards of Narsal. Let's reforge it. Let's go. Boromir, you know, he, he was somewhat, in, you know, uh, close to what they presented in the book, Faramir, completely unrelated to who he was in the book. Why did you have to change the structure of Faramir? There is no reason for that. You know, so, you know, I respect what you're saying, but I, I will respectfully disagree. Yeah, on the, uh, on, if, if on a purest level, uh, you don't feel as though it, it did justice to the book, then that's, that's absolutely you know... Fine. And it's not necessarily justice to the book. I understand it's, it's see that's again that's where that's the argument I've heard from other Tolkien scholars who uh are more loving of the film than I am. It's not a I wouldn't say it's a purist. I'm looking at how they presented things on the film and the translation. It's not necessarily the translation, but why do you do you need the complete pathos? All films today are complete pathos. You know, do, do we need to feel sorry for them and their journey and just it's crap. So <laughs> uh, so it's basically a tone and shadow kind of thing that you are disagreeing with. I'm sorry, what was that again? The the it's tone a, and shadowing of it. Yeah. The the way that the characters are pitched more than necessarily the lines that they're saying. Yeah, it's how they presented and the lines and also what 
people don't realize is they took lines from other characters, like sure. lines from Galadriel and gave them to, say, Eowyn, or lines from Aragorn and gave them to Boromir. You know, yeah. they shifted lines all around from one character to the next because they restructured the entire character for the presentation in the film. Yeah. Yeah. That c- I could imagine that. If I, if I'd been that au fait with the books, that would have probably irked me as well. Okay, uh, but I feel as though we ought to, to the, move on in a moment. Sure. So just let me ask yeah. if anybody else in the room wants to comment on on Gollum. No, well, any uh, Dar- let's Darth and uh, Anthony, do you want to each make a, a final comment on this one? Because I feel as I have to move us forward. Sure, I'll just nip in just on because I haven't actually spoken to the you know whether I think Gollum should be on this list kind of thing. Quite right. Uh, I I don't. I mean, whether you're talking literary Gollum or film Gollum or, you know, animated Gollum from way before, I just don't like the character. I mean, it's weird. Uh, I, I do sort of like Lord of the Rings, but I don't really like the whole concept of Gollum. Uh, I think it's weird, and just after a while, you kind of get what you get what the character beat is, and it's not that interesting. So I don't, you know, I, I think that there should be somebody else from Lord of the Rings on here, maybe, uh, you know like the ring race or like Sauron. I think it's kind of weird that Sauron's not on here. Um, but I don't know. Gollum himself, I'm not that big of a fan. I, I do have to agree, rather than just, you know, my diatribe that I just, you know, blathered out to you guys, uh, I have to agree with that, whether, you know, it's not just that I disagree with film and literary Gollum. Um, there are other in respect to, like, really big monsters in Lord of the Rings, just as a film, regardless of my opinion of the films, I think there are more memorable characters, uh, more memorable monsters than just Gollum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know, I went to see the film with my brother-in-law, and it, uh, his, uh, I wouldn't say his only concern was, he said, if they get the spider right, I'll be happy. <laughs> she love. Uh, but, um... I mean, it may well be, again, when we do uh, episode 67 in a couple of weeks' time, favourite sages, mentors and boffins, maybe uh, the gray, uh, Gandalf the Grey or Gandalf the White might be uh, one of the ones in that list. So if you're going to... I'm going I'm to have to move us on, folks, because we're already at 2 hours 20 minutes, and um, uh, normally, I'm not saying it's going to happen this week, the higher we get up the list, we usually spend more time on each one, so we could quite easily be heading towards... Uh, the three-hour list, if I don't be a little bit strict with us all. So I'm going to move us to number four, which is Death from Discworld, and I have a rather inappropriate clip of Death. There's a place you're always welcome That's as nice as it can be Everyone can get in Cause it's absolutely free That's death No need to take a breath Just lie around all day With not a single bill to pay Hooray, that's death No more sicknesses or flu If you live beyond your means You can die beyond them too Why not 
simply join them on the other side. That's death. Say farewell to all your bills. Rip up all your wills. And pop your final pills. Amen. That's death. Okay, uh, and I'm not sure whether that was Eric Idle providing the voice for that. Sounded a bit like it to me. Um, any big fans of Death and Discworld? Speak, because we'll move on. Again, my son is an absolutely uh, big, big fan of the old Discworld series. Um, but I don't know why. Um, well, I don't suppose Rincewinded or any of those would be in this, would they? As, um, I don't know who other other could have be attributed. It had to be death, I suppose. Anybody, Charlie? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to move along. If people don't want to, people listen to this later. You're thinking, what they did that poll and they didn't spend any time on death. What is it? Well, come on the show live. Talk show ID five four eight two one two p.m. Eastern Daylight Time every Sunday. On Torchu, put Torchu in uh, Google, you'll find us fairly quickly. And instead of just listening to us on iTunes, which I hope you do, come in and join live. Like Anthony did today, he saw my DAT100 YouTube clip and thought, I've got to, I've got to come on that show uh, and say something. So we're going to move forward to um, number three, and that is Aliens, uh, the Alien franchise. I haven't got a clip for this, so... Um, do does anybody again want to comment on this one? I mean, uh, the first Alien was iconic, so why it says Aliens, I don't know. Uh, does anybody want to con- you know wonder why they put Aliens rather than Alien? Because they're talking about the race, not the film. Right, not the way the it was realised in the first film. No, I mean they're talking about the Aliens of the Alien franchise. Right. It's grammatically correct to put an S. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, uh, but again, I only ever watched the first film uh, with where there was only one alien, but of course it's one of a race. Um, I didn't... I think I, tr- I think I tried to watch one of the others, but they're too frightening for me. I quite like the first one. I don't like horror films. I like Sigourney Weaver. Well, I mean, uh, I'll just jump in for a little bit here and say, yes, they should be on the list. I mean, obviously, they're one of the greater film creations in the genre of the last 40 years. So, sure, they should be on the list. Whether they should be as high as three, that's not matter. No. Okay. But, uh, you know, they should be here. Tim, you've been quiet for a while. Do you want to come in? There's not really much to add. I don't want to make the show too long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, he wants to go watch George Gently in a minute. Uh, has that already started? No, no, I'm avoiding that like the plague. <laughs> okay. I'm hoping to put the snooker on before it's over. Uh, that's the actor that used to play, uh, Martin Shaw used to play in The Professionals. His new series of George Gently starts on the BBC tonight. Okay, um, well, I will move on to... Um, one, and again, it's uh, maybe a slightly inappropriate clip, but it's Lawn from Angel.
first I was afraid I was petrified Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong And I learned how to get along And um, th- that was the very first appearance of Lorne uh, Played by Andy Hallett, by the way uh, Who sadly died age only about 33 And for those of you who have problems with your teeth Make sure you get them looked after because he got a, an infection after going to the dentist. The blood, his blood got infected and uh, affected the muscles of his heart. And uh, a year or two, three or four years after that, sadly at the age of 33, he died. But he played this, um, uh, the host, um, Lorne, that came from another dimension that was um, could read people's minds when they heard them singing. Um Again, I don't think he should be this high, but I, I, I was a, a fan of Lorne in the Angel series. thought he was a, an excellent character. So, any fans in the room? Well, all he could really say is he, he, he ran a karaoke bar where um, be, beings of other worlds or that you might normally think of as nasty <laughs> were welcomed. It, it was usually a good laugh for the, any any rare episode where he persuades Angel himself to sing because he hates doing it, <laughs> and yeah. that's usually a a good comic moment. But yeah, it was basically the li- yeah, it was the basically the light relief for the whole series because one of the things about Angel uh, about series three four it went very very dark indeed. I mean, basically I would think almost went. De- too dark for too long, and I think some series do that. They almost take themselves so seriously um, that, that, that there's almost no relief. And you think, you know, my life's bad enough without watching this. <laughs> and you wonder why you continue to watch it. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I thought that the character, that the character he played, Lorne, was a good um, part of it. But there were other ones, of course. I, I would have said that um, Jasmine might have been somebody you would have picked uh, from the series that was one of the the, the lords that they came up against. Uh, there were one or two others like that. So again, uh, I know there are a few people in the room. Uh, I'm not even sure whether they're ones that have followed Angel. So I'm going to go to Charlie P. He's lost nope. to Charlie. Oh, yeah. No, I've I never watched an episode of Angel, so can't really comment okay. on it. Okay, yeah, and Mythic Doctor Who, Anthony, yeah, it was a shame about the uh, the actor. Anybody want to make any comments on that before we reveal a number one in this quiz, this poll? Okay, well, we'll go to number one, and I'm not going to tell you it is. I'm going to play some very short clips just to see if you can guess who it might be. Would you care for some tea? That would be very nice, thank you. Exterminate! Exterminate! Your identity is unknown! Um, the other... The, the, the thing is finding a speech from them. Uh, the best one, of course, is the one from Davros, which is not really right. But I've got one more of the Doctor, the Ninth Doctor, talking to the, da- doctor, uh, to the Daleks. Might not be appropriate, but I like the clip. Alert! Alert! They are detected! It is the Doctor 
that's nice. Hello? The Dalek stratagem bears completion. The fleet is almost ready. You will not intervene. Oh, really? Why stop that? We have your associate. You will obey or she will be exterminated. No. No. What is the meaning of this negative? It means no. But she will be destroyed. No. Because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue her. I'm going to save Rose Tyler from the middle of the Dalek fleet. And then I'm going to save the Earth. And then, just to finish off, I'm going to wipe every last stinking Dalek out of the sky. But you have no weapons, no defenses, no plans. Yeah. And doesn't that scare you to death? Rose? Yes, Doctor? I'm coming to get you. Okay, well, uh, it's not a surprise, maybe, that uh, the Dalek gets high on this list. Perhaps a surprise gets number one. Lots of fans in the Cult and Collective for Doctor Who, of course, and uh, the Daleks, although they've been often, or maybe, overused in recent times. Uh, they still have a, a, a fun place in many people's hearts, especially the younger viewers of Doctor Who. So, um, should it be in the list? Should it be there at all? Should it be number one? And um, with us up at two and a half hours, I think uh, we might have to either be brief, because I did want to actually give people an opportunity to, if they can think fairly quickly, of ones that they feel they should perhaps have made the list who weren't on it. So um, let's go around the room. Um, Charlie, number one, Daleks? Um, I don't know if I'll put number one. Sure, I, w- I would probably put them on the list. They're very iconic, probably the most iconic uh, alien that's been on Doctor Who. It's one of those things where you probably, you know, people who don't watch Doctor Who might know who the Daleks are. Just, you know, even you know, with, the, with the voice, with the exterminate and everything like that. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll put them as number one, but you know, I like them. <laughs> Good, well said, oh. Tim. I mean, there's ups oh. and downs, peaks and valleys, but yeah. Okay, sorry, Tim. We are um, coming near to end, so just a little bit, if you would. I'm always a bit biased when it comes to Dalek stories. I think because some people seem to think they're bad Dalek stories, and usually I think it's just fun to have the Daleks in the show anyway. And I suppose they do go up and down particularly since the show came back, and they've definitely been overused, and uh, it was welcome to hear that they're, they're not actually coming back next year. We're going to have a, a Dalek-free year, which probably means some, something else will feature, such as the Cybermen or something, as they seem right. to have raised the profile of the Cybermen in recent months by putting them in the, the Doctor Who game. So, I, I certainly think they should be higher than the, uh, the Cybermen on the list. Would you agree with that? If well, not yes. at the top, yeah. 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 Okay, um, Darth, do you want to come in on this one? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it shows the obvious statistical imbalance of the respondents of this poll that the Daleks are number one. Um, I mean, th- this clearly marks this as... You're a bit quiet. Poll. Sorry, Darth. Uh, that's all right. I, th- I think it clearly shows this as a pro-British kind of poll. I don't think that if you were to balance things out and you know say that 
you had a proportional number of people from around from different countries around the world, I don't think the Daleks would be at the top. Um, but that's clearly not what they did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, do I think that they deserve to be on the list? That, that's actually even hard for me to say. Um, I don't. What, hold on. Let me look at the exact wording again because it's been a while since <laughs> I looked at the time. Monsters, <laughs> supernatural beings, and fantasy. I don't think that they're supernatural. I think that they're fantasy, and then I don't think they're monsters. So, no, I don't really think that they even deserve to be on this list. I think that they probably deserve to be on uh, the other list that's here, favorite villains. Um, but um, I suppose that looking at who won that particular uh, list, I think it seems pretty obvious that they weren't on that list because they would be in direct competition with the winner of that list. And that would be bad for the makers of SFX, um, who were trying to sell their magazines in Britain. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think that they're the best candidate on this list. I don't really think they deserve to be there. Okay. And Anthony, do you want to comment on this one? Sure. Just uh, real quick, I do have to agree with uh, Darth there that they don't qualify for me uh, in these categories, I think they are a villain. They are a, you know, arch nemesis of the Doctor. But uh, do they belong on this list? Uh, I, I guess it's, he, uh, you know, I have to agree with him again on that. This is a very British-powered uh, uh, poll, and that the percentage is very high for them to choose it because the, in my opinion, the Daleks are right here in front of us as the show has been brought back in 2005 and they've been very abundant and I have to agree, overused a lot in the new show. I do like them as an iconic classic villain in Doctor Who. The, as in their presentation in the new show, I, I, I find it a little problematic. I, I enjoyed them coming back in the uh, latest series, but I don't know if I necessarily understand why they were changed. Were they changed in form because we have a new Doctor and they want to present the Daleks all new? And if we are going to have a Dalek-free series next year, why were they changed? Because now, at the end of the last series, their change doesn't really mean much, at least to me as a viewer. So do they belong on this list? I don't know. Are they a classic favorite villain? Yes. Are they a monster? No. So that's my take. Okay. Um, well, well, the show's run longer than I expected, which is good because it means that we had something to talk about. I'm going to ask each of you in the room if um, uh, and we'll, we'll keep it fairly brief if we may. Just off the top of the head, if you feel as though there's some glaring hole there, and remember the full title of the poll is favourite monsters, supernatural beings and fantasy creatures um, I think if Ian was here he would mention a couple of the ones from Being Human, you know the um, the, the werewolf, the vampire and the ghost from Being Human if you've watched that uh, one I would uh, probably have uh, included maybe is if you're a fan of Buffy I'd have included the gentleman from uh, Buffy as um, uh, sort of supernatural beings um, those are my two top Obvious missing ones, I think, at the moment, uh, to add alongside uh, Jasmine that I mentioned before, and I suppose uh, from Angel, and the other one from Buffy was um, uh, Gloria, uh, uh, Glory, our Glorificus. 
I quite liked her. And, uh, yeah. So, um, anybody want to have just thought during the course of the show? Hang on a minute. They've 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 completely missed A, B, or C. Uh, even if it's only just naming them. So, anybody, Tim, you can you can you name anybody that you might have listed? Or would you agree with the, the couple that I mentioned? I can't think of anything whatsoever, really. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we are coming to the end of the show, so I just wanted to just pass that round as an idea. Uh, Benjamin's uh, lost audio, so uh, I'd just ask um, the other two with the audio. Um, Darth, anybody that is glaringly missing? Although, of course, you, they might turn up in one of the other polls, of course. I suppose that uh, it is odd to me, given how this poll uh, has or the nominees, and I put that in quotations, uh, are coming from so many different franchises that there's nothing from Star Wars. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. That seems a little weird to me. I know that there are Star Wars things on other polls because I've looked at them already, but it is weird that there's not a monster from Star Wars in here. I don't... I mean, to me, things like the... Um, Jabba the Hutt, you mean, or what? Well, Jabba the Hutt, I don't know if I really classify that as exactly a monster, but um, it could be. I mean, you could you could say that his attitude towards a lot of things is sort of monstrous. But, you know, like the um, the, the cave beast at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back that, you know, claw, mauls um, Luke. Uh, like, that was always a monster that sticks in my mind as being, you know, truly a, a blind, instinctual monster. Um or even like the the creatures that are in the um, the garbage tank in episode four um, that grab a hold of Luke and Leia and Han. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are kind of cool. Um, they're they're that's just you know the tip of the iceberg. There are other you could maybe count General Grievous as a monster. Maybe who knows. Because uh, he's not really got that much left. <laughs> I've knows? got a cough. I've got a cough. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's weird to me that there is really nothing from Star Wars in there. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, you were agreeing there on a couple of them? Oh, I do. I, I definitely agree. that I'm looking at the comments that are on this SFX poll result, and there are a number of people that do mention that it's lacking in any Star Wars. So that would go along to some of what, Darth is saying about a very British-oriented uh, poll, um, but I definitely think that there are monsters. And now we we could go into a whole discussion of what defines monstrous. Jabba the Hutt is a villain, but his form as a being could be monstrous to us um, in our perception of what is a monster. Um, does he act monstrous like the Rancor in Return of the Jedi with that attack? You, you know when. When Luke is thrown into the pit and he has to fight the Rancor monster, the Rancor monster doesn't have an intelligence like Jabba the Hutt, so he could be more monstrous. So um, I definitely think that some they're severely lacking, regardless of the first, you know, episode one, two, and three, which we can discuss as problematic or favorable. But you know, from New Hope onward to Je- uh, Return of the Jedi, there needs to there should definitely be some monsters on here. Yeah, uh, another one I just thought of is the uh, the fly. I don't know whether that would be classed as a monster. Yeah. Oh, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, well, rather than us sit around here racking our brains and uh, coming up, uh, please, if you've not been on the show and you've listened to it, uh, send us some feedback. We have uh, the blog uh, uh, for the Cultum Collective. It's called the Cultum Chronicles, and it is at cultum.com. Very easy place to find. And, of course, we have a uh, Facebook fan page, the Cultum Collective fan page. Uh, if you join that, you'll not only get... Um, chances to to post comments like that but you will be able to listen back to the shows directly from the facebook page but with that i think it's time to uh, bring this show to an end just let me pass again the Colton collectives um congratulations on to my co-host ian six doctor was unable to make most of the show today he made a brief appearance at the beginning uh, welcoming a new family member of callum reese bissett into the family so with that uh, guys um i'm going to thank everybody who's appeared a number of people have uh, had to drop off due to the length of the podcast but um uh, to those on mic, let me just say uh, and go around and quickly say thank you as we bring this to an end. If you want to make a last comment at this point, by all means do so, and then I'll play us out with the outro. So, Charlie P, 79, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and um, thanks for coming. Thank you. Yep, cheers. Thank you. Uh, Darth, thanks for being on the show, and uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed it, even if the list wasn't quite to your liking. Thank you much, sir. And uh, Anthony uh, of Mythic Doctor Who, do you want to just give a, a little bit of mention of your book one more time? And hopefully Ian and myself will get round to giving you an, having an interview with you, uh, hopefully for the Christmas market. Well, uh, I definitely appreciate that. My book is The Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who. It was published this past May. Um, we This fall, we're planning on having, well, there is scheduled a signing at the borders at the Staten Island Mall in Staten Island, New York. And uh, I definitely look forward to chatting up about the book. There's other future Doctor Who books in the works that I have in mind. So we can let, you know, Colton listeners hear about that when we chat about it. Excellent. Oh, well, with that, next week, of course, episode 67, we're doing Doctor Who Top 10 Companions, and in two weeks' time, episode 68, and I think I've got the link for it, just, uh, I think it's part six. You can actually just scroll along the pages. Um, Tim, do you want to add anything more before we end up the show? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you, Tim, as well, and with yeah. that... Uh, uh, I, I know he's anxious to get off the show, you see. Uh, we've nearly got... Well, we're under three hours for you. How's that? Okay. Last week. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody else. And with that, we'll play out. Bye, all. Bye till next week.